Good evening and welcome to the November 9th, 2017 Planning Commission Work Session. Uh, our first uh, item are uh, disclosures. Uh, Commissioner Lloyd. On November 8th, I met with Kevin McWater uh, and a team for the Walsh Colucci on the uh, Enterprise application on Atlantic Avenue. Thank you, Commissioner Lloyd. Commissioner Sisley. No disclosures. Thank you, Commissioner Sisley. Commissioner Kears. Uh, <clears throat> October 26th, I went to the Equinix uh, data, data Center opening. Um, it's up off of Loudoun County Parkway across from uh, Redskins Park area. And for those of you who haven't been to a data center opening, if you have the opportunity, I recommend it because it will be a lot more interesting than you think. On November 1st, uh, I attended with uh, Commissioner Selman there the West Winds Crossing HOA meeting regarding the Silver District West application. On November 2nd, uh, I met with several residents regarding the Ashburn Child Care application. On November 3rd, uh, I met with Sarah Howard O'Brien regarding the uh, Dulles North ES31 and the uh, Dulles South Public Utilities Service Center applications. And on November 3rd, I met with Packy Crown and uh, others regarding a, an upcoming application, Regency at Belmont. Thank you, Commissioner Kearse. Commissioner Jennings. Um, November 9th, I met with Sarah Howard O'Brien on the Loudoun County Public School Elementary and the Utility Facility <coughs> Service Center application. Thank you, Commissioner Jennings. Commissioner Blackburn. Today, November 9th, I also met with Sarah Howard O'Brien and the above uh, previously mentioned applications. Thank you, Commissioner Blackburn. Commissioner Priscilla. On November 7th, I had discussions with Branko Panktovic regarding the Virginia Fusion Soccer Facility application. On November 8th, and today I had uh, electronic discussions with Sarah Howard O'Brien regarding the Dulles South Public Utility Service Center and the Dulles North Elementary School applications. And on November 9th, I had a discussion with Molly Novotny regarding the National Conference Center applications. Thank you, Commissioner Priscilla. Commissioner Scheel. On November 9th, uh, met with uh, Dick Greenman Schneider and Jake Hambrick, H-A-M-B-R-I-C-K, regarding some legal issues that they raised uh, in reference to uh, Data North. Thank you, Commissioner Shield. Commissioner Barnes, thank you. On Thursday, October 27th, I met with Packy Crown, uh, Eric Anderson, uh, Kim Hart, uh, Andrew Painter, and I think that's it regarding the Regency at Belmont Chase application. On uh, Tuesday, October 31st, I met with uh, Chris Gleckner regarding the Eastgate Child Care Center. Um, and on Wednesday, November 1st, I also attended the West Wind Crossing HOA with 85 of my closest friends to discuss the uh, Silver District West application. On Tuesday, November 7th, I had uh, email communications with Sarah Howard O'Brien regarding the um, Loudoun County Public School uh, facility down off of uh, Light Ridge Farm Road. And that uh, does it for me on disclosures. Our uh, next item are action summary reviews. I'll accept a motion to approve the October 12th, 2017 
uh, Loudoun County Planning Commission action summary as presented. So moved. Moved by Commissioner Sisley. Uh, is there a second? Second. Seconded by Commissioner Blackburn. Are there any uh, changes, modifications? Seeing none, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion passes 9-0. I'll now accept a motion to approve the October 24th Loudoun County Planning Commission action summary as presented. Moved. moved by Commissioner Denning, Second. seconded by Commissioner Sisley. Uh, any comments, changes, etc.? Seeing none, all in favor? Aye. Uh, opposed? Motion passes 9-0. Um, great. Our first uh, item on the agenda is for Mr. Uh, Schneider. Welcome. You almost said Mr. Marchant, didn't you? I almost did, but I did not. That's a name for my former life. My cousin's name is Milford Marchant, so that's always interesting at family get-togethers. You're who? Wow. So. Okay, you have, uh, you're looking at 12 applications at the end of the month. Uh, first two are agricultural and forestal district applications. First, this is the renewal of the, uh, actually, these are out of order. Um, let's go to this one first. Let me go back. First, we have the Oak Hill Forestal District. This is Route 15. Uh, it's about 63 parcels, 2,700 acres. Uh, they're wanting to, they had asked to renew for a period of 10 years. Uh, staff recommends four years based on the, the board's guidance, although the ADAG had recommended a renewal period of six years. But otherwise, we're recommending approval of the application. And again, shaded area west of Route 15, uh, Gilbert's Corners right here. Yep. Uh, and going back to the second, which is Beaver Dam. Uh, this, I'm sorry, did, was there any questions on the Oak Hill? Any questions other than so I just want to be sure I understand the AFD wants it to be 10. The staff wants it to be four, and the ADAC wants it to be six. The applicant wants it to be 10. Staff has recommended four based on the board guidance. ADAC recommended six. So we should just pick whichever one we want. The middle road's six years, I guess. Right? Let's do uh, 5.31. Okay. Uh, thank you. <clears throat> Next. Hey, I'm living. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Kears. So I'm... Um, so I'm, I'm generally thinking the county looks favorably on these types of districts, correct? Yes. So, so why wouldn't we approve 10? Why would you say it because of board guidance? Is it just because it's a policy that's been written that hasn't really – I mean, why would we not want the 10? TILA had charged um, staff to come do an analysis of that. It was a fairly lengthy item, and, a, and I'm drawing a, a blank as to exact reasons, but the way the, re, the district's renewed – in the overlap, that they felt there wasn't a benefit um, and that it would be harder to administer over a period of time. John, does that seem familiar to that's, you? That's right. They, they looked at the efficiency of 10 years versus four years, and staff determined that it was more efficient to do them, in, and they do them in clusters, obviously. You get several at a time in a four-year cycle. I think the board's overall interest is just more monitoring the program more closely and making sure people aren't locked in uh, to too long a term and that the board has a chance to look at them on a more regular basis uh, It's been the board policy for several years to try to get the four years on on all these districts It's not a strong one way or the other reason but yeah. it is more efficient at four years for staff to review the districts the way they Lay out now in terms of when they're due It's, it's more efficient uh, to do several at one time on a four-year cycle 
there was still some out of turn ability if someone wanted to get out of it on an off year or out of a renewal year, they're able to get out of it if they pay a fee. Um, I think the board too is in other words the longevity of it, you know, kind of a checkpoint to make sure that people are actually doing what they're supposed to be doing in an agricultural and forestal district and at the, at the, at the longer terms it maybe seemed harder to monitor. So. Okay. Rody can probably give you a better answer at the hearing. We'll work on that. Yeah, it just seems like it's actually creating more workload to do it every four years versus ten. And if somebody's in one of these districts and they're flat out violating the terms of it, you don't have to wait till the ten years is up to do something about it, correct? Correct. Correct. So, okay. We'll, we'll have Rody speak to it. I, I understand that if you do it every four, you have the ability, you know, the county will go back and they'll take a look at it and review it and renew it, and it just maybe it makes it more frequent for the county to actually look at it if it's being renewed every four than waiting every ten. So we can dust okay. off the, the TLIC item that we put together, and, and we can make that available to you as well if it walks okay. you through some of the mentality of it. Okay. Other questions? Commissioner Shield. <coughs> uh, speaking for the farm family, <clears throat> a lot of uh, land is leased out. And uh, the leases generally run uh, three or four years, and they don't run 10 years. So there are a lot of changes agriculturally when one would switch from one uh, leasee to another. Okay. Thank you. Other questions? Uh, thank you. Next one. Okay. Back to Beaver Dam. Uh, this is, uh, involves 63 parcels. I had them reverse tonight. The one we just did, the new Oak Hill, was 12 parcels, 526 acres. This one is 63 parcels, 2,700 acres. Um, just west, this is the boundary of Middleburg. You'll see up at Snickersville's Turnpike, Route 50 in this area. So that's the general location of it. There's a renewal. Uh, So I, I had my districts backward. This is the one that's asking for 10. ADAG said six, we said four. So this is what happens when you staple your items out of order. In your I was going to say that was what happens when you don't follow the, the, the agenda. Book. I apologize. Okay, other questions? I guess those are the questions we had for this one. Any questions on the first my one? My apologies. <laughs> it's been that kind of week. Okay. I know how you feel. All right, next one. This one I'm going to punt over to Mark Stoltz, Zoning Administrator. Hey, good evening. I know it's been a while since I've seen you guys, so it's good to be here. Uh, this particular uh, amendment actually is a combination of a comprehensive plan amendment as well as a zoning ordinance amendment uh, to amend the policies and the regulations regarding the building and parking setbacks as well as the required landscaping along the Route 7 corridor between the eastern corporate uh, limits of, of the town of Leesburg and Broad Run. The amendment proposes to actually reduce the building setback from the current 300 feet to a distance of 200 feet. It also proposes to increase the parking setback from the current 100 feet to 150 feet. And it's also proposing to enhance the landscaping uh, buffer yard requirement from currently a type three to a modified type five buffer yard. Um, these proposed amendments uh, are based upon and those setbacks that, that I just provided 
were based on some general uh, direction that we received from the board at the recommendation of the Transportation Land Use Committee as a starting point uh, to look at that. Um, the referral comments, we did send this out on referral, and we also worked uh, and included a referral from the Zoning Ordinance Action Group and worked with the subcommittee of that group during the uh, review of this particular amendment. Uh, the concern, really the only issue that came about uh, through the referral and zoning ordinance action group was the proposal to increase the parking setback again from 100 feet to 150 feet. Uh, they felt like that this would uh, cause a loss of site area to accommodate required, required parking and that this could significantly constrain a commercial development uh, on the property which could result in uh, economic impacts to both the property owners and the county. Therefore, ZOAG's recommendation would be to retain the 100-foot parking setback. Also, the county did have a held a public out, uh, outreach open house on October the 23rd. Uh, as prior to that open house, the county did send notice letters to all of the property owners affected along the Route 7 corridor by this amendment. Um, there were 10 uh, attendees at that at that outreach meeting, and again, they also expressed uh, general support for the amendment but also the concern with the increase in the parking setback. Uh, so that was the primary focus of their concerns. There was also some discussion about the uh, landscaping, um, native species requirements and things of that nature, which we've adjusted based on that input. Um, so with that, that concludes my uh, summary. Staff would support uh, going to a work session with the commission if uh, the issue of the parking setback uh, cannot be adequately addressed at the public hearing. So. Okay, thanks, Mark. Any questions? Mr. Sisley. Um, unfortunately, my computing device isn't caught up, but in my earlier review on page 19, there are three sections that are recommended changes. That middle section has language that says the number required shall be the number required. I don't think I've seen that in a zoning ordinance before. I'm hoping you can unpack that and explain why that appears to be redundant. Okay, let me get to that page. Mm -hmm. Or the item? The, uh, so page 19 of the item is a table. Is it the table? No, I'm sorry. I, no, I, and here, is this easier? It might be. Is, that, is it That's here? That's it right there. Okay. Uh, total point, it's... Um, page 25 of 49. 25. Uh, so it's item E1B. I think what that is getting at is that there's a number of plants that are required for every 100, every 100 linear feet of the frontage. So what that's saying is that the expectation would be that the total number of plants that were required for each 100-foot segment uh, would be within that 100-foot. There would be some uh, ability to relocate uh, within the buffer yard those plant materials if uh, there was some kind of a environmental constraint or some kind of an easement that would prevent that. So if there is that type of situation, an applicant can work with staff to have some flexibility about the where the plants can go in that each 100-foot segment of the Route 7 corridor. That's what that's intended to apply. Okay. 
So, so Section A says the plants may be located within the full 100-foot width of the buffer yard. And it says the total plants required for each 100-foot section of the of the frontage shall contain the plants required per 100 linear feet. You just can you can you maybe just review the language and see yeah, if we'll, you we'll make it a little more clear. We'll try to get you some more clarification. Thanks. Okay. Sure. Mr. Kirsten, do you have other questions? I, I did. It was. I'm kind of curious of the discussion about, as you had mentioned. Um, so the current standard is you can have a building at the 300 foot point, and you can have 200 feet of parking in front of it. And now we're changing it to say, if we didn't make any other changing to the parking, you could have a building 200 feet back, and you could have 100 feet of parking in front of it. But now we're saying, well, with the building 200 feet back, you can only have 50 feet of parking. Was there some rationale why those two are linked, or are they just kind of like totally separate and not necessarily intended to be linked in the I don't, coming yeah, of crafting of this? Right. I don't think the intention was that they were linked in terms of the distance between the building and the parking, what have you. Again, I think the thought there was that by decreasing the building setback, uh, the thought was to increase the, you know, have some benefit or enhanced aesthetic quality to the corridor by uh, increasing that parking setback to allow for more uh, landscaping and so forth. So I think that was the intent. I don't think it was intended to preclude or limit parking between the road and the building, if that's your question. But that's what it does. It does. It does reduce the yeah. amount of parking. Yes, if if they do come up to within 200 feet. Yeah. Again, okay. At the building. Okay. Mr. Sissy, other Just questions? One last thing on on that issue. I think there are a number of professional organizations that advise civic jurisdictions that the goal is to push the building closer to the roadway, uh, so that the building is the dominant feature that right. people driving by see, and it's less about the cars but more about the architecture and the building. Sure. Okay. Other questions? Um, I had I had one, uh, which was, you're we're going from a type three to a modified type five. Can you just provide us some uh, feedback or or explain what it is in other areas? For example, there's a, I think it's a modified type five in the Route 50 corridor. And if you could explain if there's any differences between this buffer and the Route 50 buffer and any other mm -hmm. um, buffer setbacks uh, that we have in other areas like the 28 and uh, other other areas. Okay. Other questions? Okay. Thank you, Mr. Thank Schultz. You. Next. Is it, so that's three and four. Oh, we're going to do the... Oh, civil violations. Okay, the next, um, the next item um, pretty much came from our office, the county attorney's office, in conjunction um, with the zoning staff. Um, the first part of the ZOAM is to make changes to the penalty provisions. Um, and this was, these two items were broken apart from the big comprehensive ZOAM just because uh, staff um, felt that these changes need to occur before the big um, the big ZOAM uh, is scheduled to come before you. Um, the Article 6 changes have to do with a schedule of uh, violations. 
um, for zoning offenses and the Article 6, 600 changes have to do with notice requirements for uh, regarding the newspaper advertisement and the written notice that's sent uh, before a board uh, planning commission or board of zoning appeals uh, public hearing. Um, specifically with the notice requirements, um, what we had found is that our zoning ordinance has some differing provisions that can sometimes cause confusion. Um, and the idea is to basically come in compliance and be the same as the state requirements. So they're not two different um, places to look. For one, the written notice to the property owners, uh, the state code requires that notice be made five days prior to the public hearing and the county zoning ordinance required it to be at least 10 days but not more than 21 days prior. So after this amendment, it'll be the five days. Um, and there is also some changes to the placard notice requirement. That is not a form of notice required under the Virginia Code. Uh, placard is considered extra notice that localities can do. Um, and it would just give us a little, the staff, mainly with the discretion of the director to determine exactly what goes on the placards. Um, the time frames for those uh, were pretty much the same. Um, so again, it's just going to make it easier for staff, for applicants to know they just have to comply with the state code requirements. So I don't know if you had more specific questions. Great. Any questions for staff? Okay. Um, I only had one. Um, there are in the finding in the section related to fines on the ADU unit 6-503B. Um, we've been talking about other types of um, units such as workforce housing units and things like that. Does that need to, and it's mostly an envision, but does that need to be addressed in here too or would that all just be covered under ADU or do their fines only need to be real related to affordable dwelling units? So if you could look into that and make sure that we don't need to add additional language for other types of workforce or other types of housing units okay. like that. I'll make sure we do that. Okay. Other questions? Okay. Moving along. Okay, next. Item number five. This is a commission permit and a minor special exception for a service center. Uh, you looked at this application or you looked at this property. It's about 151 acres south of Braddock Road. You had looked at it for a commission permit for the Dulles South, Dulles South High School and Elementary School sites. Uh, the area we're focusing on tonight is the existing barn facility. Uh, they wish to use it for storage of seasonal maintenance and equipment and materials. They are asking some minor special exception modifications of the applicable development standards. Uh, moving the location of the buffer, substituting some required plantings, and deferring some planting until the larger uh, campus is built. So this is just a highlight of the existing barn. They've, done, they've focused on providing some screening to the Willisford developments to the, to the rear. Uh, we have found it generally within the um, criteria for commission permit approval. No outstanding issues, and we are recommending the commission approve and forward to the board for ratification. Okay, any questions on this one? Yes, Mr. Kears. I have not been able to get my uh, 
attachment to download. Is there a picture of the barn? Yes. And the packet materials? Somewhere in there. I don't know if there's yeah. just, I'm just curious what the barn looks like. We'll have it in the staff report. Okay. I, I've heard some opinionated descriptions of it. I just, you know, I can't get this thing to download, so. It's I've, a nice looking barn. I was just some, subject, some subjective. If it's in here, maybe it'll eventually download and I'll see it in here, but I, I tried it at home, it wouldn't download. I've been trying it here and it won't download. There you go. Okay. It's not, it would not be deemed a historic structure, but yeah. it is. All right, I, got, I see it now. Utilitarian just, sort of. It was just for everybody else, it's on page 14 of 30. Not for nothing, but if I had a paper copy, I wouldn't have to wait for it to download. Please turn off Mr. Kearse's microphone. Uh, any other questions? Okay. Thanks. There is one interesting feature. This is one of, I think, two underground houses. The site has an underground. The former owner built its, their house, a subterranean uh, single-family home. So, okay. So is that going to be destroyed? Are we destroying housing units in order to help the Not part of this application? So. Okay. Where's, where's the house? sidebar to uh, go back. Where, where's the house on the I think we're going to need a tour. Yeah. Was he, was it like in, like, do you know why it was the homeowner built? Is it a former, is it a former know, Nike? The zombie site? apocalypse or waiting for World War Three, or was it just he likes to be underground? During the break, we can, yeah. one of our project managers, just an interesting curiosity. Well, it is. I'm just kind of curious. As to, so, yeah. Okay. Good, good uh, reason for a site visit. <laughs> okay. I think there's no other questions, so let's move along. Okay, number six, this is a commission permit minor special exception for the Dulles North Elementary School sites, uh, east of Belmont Ridge Road, just north of Waxpool Road. Uh, you may recognize this Tillett property, and my mouse is not working. Uh, this is the Tillett auction barn right here. It's not showing on my screen. Just a second. Ah, there you can see, Tillett auction barn right there. So carving off part of the larger Tillett property to um, develop this elementary school site. This is a layout of the school facility. Um, again, in this district, in this area, schools are a by-right use. Uh, they're asking for the commission permit because this is not a, a feature shown on our planned land use map. One thing we did talk to them about is at the same time the school will be under development, Belmont Ridge Road will be under construction and expanding. So the, we're working with the applicant or with schools to put some notes on the commission permit plat that talk about how that road's to be used. Uh, at this point, while uh, the road is under construction, this proposed access connecting the road or Belmont Ridge to Waxpool will be open for use for the school, but this entrance will be only be used during construction. The entirety of this road would not be used to serve the site until the the construction of Belmont Ridge Road is complete, or the expansion of Belmont Ridge Road is complete. So in the interim period that the school is open, traffic will come down onto Waxpool and come up into the site. Any questions? We are recommending the commission approve the permit and send it forward for ratification. Okay. Any questions, Mr. Kears? Um, the, the only question I had, and uh, when I met with Ms. O'Brown, we talked about it. My only, I mean, it's it's not an ideal spot. My biggest concern was to make sure that there's no chance that the line of cars queuing could ever possibly back up to Belmont Ridge or Wax or Waxpool Road. So I think she was going to come up with some some numbers on the typical queuing at 
like Hillside and Mill Run Elementaries, which are close by, and show how it can be accommodated on that service drive. Because my double concern is where the school is located, um, there's, there won't probably be anybody walking to it, and which means there might be even a higher than average number of people dropping off and picking up. So that was really my biggest concern. Okay. Any other questions, Mr. Scheel? Will there be any uh, walk access uh, from uh, housing to the northeast and future housing that might be from the uh, southwest to the There will school. be a multi-purpose trail as part of the Route, 59, Route 659 construction along Belmont Ridge Road, so there will be some ability for these residents to come down and folks from the south if they are inclined to do so. Uh, whether or not there's a direct connection between the development and the school, I, I can ask Sarah to follow up at the hearing. Thank you. I, I was speaking about the direct connection. A direct connection? <clears throat> yeah. Mm -hmm. We can have an update to you at the hearing with that. So. Okay. Other questions, Mr. Kears? If, if I could answer that, it, it's extremely unlikely. The, the big blank area that you see is a big, giant water retention pond with very steep slopes. Um, Talking about right here? Yeah, that, that's what's actually there. So if the kids were to try to walk to school, they'd have to walk all the way back to Truro Parish, then back over down to Belmont Ridge, and then along that path, of which there is no sidewalk on Truro Parish. So, Or just swim. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that the topography would even, if we wanted to, fit a way to put a trail across the HOA property to tie into the school because there's a elevation distance between the school and there. So it's... Extremely unlikely. Okay. I, I would like to, I know this has not been, the boundaries have not been set and will not be, but my understanding is that there's a residential, fairly high density residential to the east, and that, my understanding is, will be connected. So over here? Yeah. There will be access along. Right. I think eventually there'll be, I'm not sure that there is today. But any future development of this site, I believe the facility standards manual would mandate uh, sidewalk connections, or I'm not sure if this is a CIP road or not, if this would be improved at some point in the future. And our plan policies call for pedestrian facilities on both sides. Whether or not this would be the connection would be open during the school, I don't know. We can ask schools <coughs> that. Okay. Further questions? Mr. Kears, so I, 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 answer all your questions. I, I believe Waxpool Road is improved uh, right about where the little bit way past the W and Waxpool where you see the res reserve at Waxpool. It's improved to that point, and then to the west, they came in and did it with like a pave in place. Okay. And I believe that part of this project is the school, they're going to finish that all the way to, to Belmont Ridge and put a, a trail along there. So I think that's so. Basically, the head school bothers. board's going to take care of a road improvement that the okay. county hasn't been able to get around to. <laughs> so if we want roads, then all we got to do is propose schools somewhere nearby, and then the schools will build the roads for us. So thanks for the question. Do you have other questions? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Any other questions? Great. Let's go on to the next one. Okay. The next seventh. Uh, 7 of 12, this is High Point East, a zoning map or rezoning, uh, zoning cons or zoning conversion and special exception. Uh, they are at, this is uh, two properties, east and west of Pacific Boulevard, just west of Route 28, 
Uh, parcel 3 is about 7.5 acres. Parcel 1A is about 32 acres. And they're asking to rezone from Research and Development Park to Industrial Park. Uh, they're also asking to increase lot coverage from both parcels. Uh, this is the concept development plan. Oh, actually, before I move slides, Pacific Boulevard is a dividing line between Route 28 business uses and our Route 20 core uses. Uh, so the intensity, this, this area, parcel 1A, by the Route 28 corridor plan uh, is designated for medium to high density employment while your Route 28 business is more your flex and office uses, and that's some of the pattern that you see out there today. This is their concept development plan. I'm sorry, Commissioner Scheel, our orientation is off. We just turned it, turned it west on you. This is Pacific Boulevard. Do you have a north thing on it? You get a compass. Pacific Boulevard, and we also have Route 28. Um, most of the materials indicate that there's, there's a likelihood of data center development, although they have not precluded other uses that would be allowed. Again, this is somewhat unusual to have this intensity of uses along the Route 28 corridor. If it were to be data center development, uh, we've encouraged the applicant to narrow its uses, state its intended use. They are asking for more flexibility uh, as the market would dictate. Given its proximity to 28, we have encouraged them to put forward a more robust design guidelines for parcel three or parcel three. Um, Wetlands, they're going back to the other previous graphic. There are wetlands and other drains throughout the site based on the green infrastructure policies. We've encouraged the applicants to avoid them, to avoid them or at least offset the uh, lot coverage increase with some enhanced landscaping on the parcel. Uh, excuse me, going backward. Okay. Also, we indicated in the briefing item, um, they're asking for a new access point along Pacific Boulevard which would not be supported by the countywide transportation policies. Um, because of their traffic study uh, describing other uses that could be developed, there's a number of, of traffic improvements that would be recommended be implemented. Uh, signalization at Relocation Drive and Pacific Boulevard, signalization at Moran and Pacific Boulevard and at the main um, entrance to the site. Uh, the applicant has indicated a preference to do a fair share of contribution to each of these intersections. Uh, staff is recommending that they pay or they, they provide the full contribution given the kind of open-ended nature of all uses they could allow on the site. So we would recommend go to work session to talk about um, the intensity of this sort of use along the corridor in light of the uh, Route 28 policy direction for this area. Okay, any questions? Yes, Mr. Kears. Um, so in lines with what you're saying about the unknown about how intense the property will be developed, determining whether they should be required to build all those lights or put a fair share, is there a way to structure it that if you build this quantity, you pay a certain percentage, but if you get to this point or above, you pay the whole thing? Is there a way to put that in a proffer that it that could be negotiated that would work? That was your direction. We could look into making it happen or is, coming up with a proffer that would look at that. Because obviously office buildings are going to be a lot more intense in traffic than if it's data centers. So and that was kind of the, the dilemma yeah. that we're at. Is if you're availing yourselves of this, fine. Right. If you if you're intense data center, if you limit yourself to that, a lot of the traffic depresses right. very quickly. All right. I'd be inclined to just tell them they need the higher thing. And yep. They want to tell us it's a data center. Okay. Data. Well, they may not know yet. So on on this side, this is consistent with the policy. What they're wanting to do, the range of uses that they're being allow, asked allowed to do here, would be consistent with the plan. It's 
this area between Pacific and Route 28 that we flagged for your uh, review. Okay. And just to note that if, you know, I had a piece of paper, I could just orient it north-south, but the stupid iPad just turns the picture on me when I try to do that. So. You can change that. Oh, you can? Yes. Oh, okay. a, yeah. You can lock it? There's a, there's a, yeah. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Block of instruction. So. Can I ask a question? Yeah. What is the policy for data centers on the 28 corridor? The Route 28 core, the core would not be, we would not anticipate data centers within the area between Pacific okay. and 28. The down, policies would not anticipate it. Down by the mall, down by the Lowe's, they put a data center there. I, can't, I don't remember how long ago, but was that a deviation, obviously, from the policy? Because it's right we on can look into that. There, right by the, the new fire department. We can look at that. There, there's a number of properties that if they had a zoning district that would allow it, they yeah. could develop it by right. Okay. Thank you. Are there questions? Um, I have a couple. So um, speaking about, because there's two applications in the Route 28 course, so this question will be for both. Do we have a, a, a recommended minimum height in the, in the, in the uh, Route 28 core? We do. I want to say off the top of my head four to five stories, but that will be in the report. Okay. So if – so we would we would expect that they would build a four to five story building. If that happens to be a data center, that's fine with us, I would guess. Correct. But if they decide that they want to build a two story building, then we would recommend against that because that's against Route 28 Corp policies. Correct? That that height would not meet the current policy. Correct. Okay. So do we have? Can we stipulate anything? or uh, make it a condition of approval that it needs to be a certain minimum height? That might be hard for the specs. I think we would encourage the applicant to proffer to that policy. Now, you looked at a self-storage facility just down the way from here, yep. and that wasn't a use that was anticipated with the core, but there was an emphasis on design, and they had also reduced their setback from Route 28. Mm -hmm. So that's what we were encouraging in this instance, that the use may not be appropriate, but some sensitivity to design and layout could offset that policy direction. Okay, so I I think we would like I think I would like to um, re recommend that the applicant look into that. Okay. Um, also, the drainage on that property, if I understand it correctly, is currently in uh, yeah there you go uh, one more yeah there you go um, is currently above ground drainage. Correct. So, can we have the uh, ask the applicant to look into um, modifying that drainage so that even just rerouting it, see if rerouting it's possible so that it, their buildings would not be in that drainage area or putting the drainage underground. I think underground is probably not as preferred because then you don't get the filtering. But um, if they could look at um, changing the, the flow around where they bit the buildings because you're going to need to move that water in some manner. I guess I'd, I guess that's the question. I want to know how are they going to move the water? Understood. Um, Policy would, would suggest they avoid it. Yep. Um, but we can talk with the applicant about some alternatives that might be available. All they got to do is just, you know, get rid of the first floor, let it go underneath, you know, like falling waters type of thing. be fine. Um, Yeah. I forgot why I put access point. So they want to add an additional access point? Yes, sir, right here. Okay. 
and they haven't proposed the, the number of buildings that that's that they they haven't proposed a certain number of buildings so we don't really know what that access point is going to now they guess they just looking for flexibility so these are the building right now this is the building outlines identified in, in the building envelopes and then you'll see perimeter parking around uh, the edges and then this is the proposed travel ways and around the site Okay, any other questions? All right, thank you. Next. Oops, wrong direction. Okay, number eight. This is, you looked at the special exception for this sheets, I believe about a year and a half ago at the corner of Lowndes County Parkway and Yardley Ridge Drive. They are asking to come in uh, for a, com or a comprehensive sign plan. Uh, this would allow for a larger monument sign, a gas station canopy sign, pole-mounted car wash sign, building-mounted convenience sign, car wash signs, pump-mounted logo, and topper signs. Uh, based on our analysis, the signage is appropriately scaled for the site, uh, and we have recommended a commission approval. Okay. Any questions? All right, next. Okay. This is a request for a zoning conversion northwest of Loudoun County Parkway and south of the WNOD Trail. Uh, policies do recommend uh, property owners convert to the newest ordinance. Uh, we have not found any issues with the proposal, and we are supporting a commission recommendation of approval. Any questions? Um, I have one, which is, the uh, uh, conditions of approval, I think, is where it says that the they're going to provide a trail along Loudoun County Parkway, um, but it's not required to connect to anything, is the, was the language on it, uh, any off-site connections. But that's adjacent to the WNOD trail, um, and the WNOD trail is at a 22-foot grade separation. So I think we need to – I'd like to find out if – if there is a plan to allow somebody to travel north on the um, walkway on along Lyon County Parkway and get to the WNOD trail because I think that's probably something that needs to be addressed. That would be a regional uh, uh, transportation, uh, uh, bike and ped uh, transportation thing that would be important. I just, it just, it's not clear if that's connected or not in the way the language seemed a little bit odd. Understood. Okay. Any other questions? All right. And this is just the um, CRTD plat. Okay. Uh, this is the other applications in the corridor that Chair Salmon was referring to. This is Gulliford Station North. You may have seen some of the correspondence saying Old Sterling North. Uh, this, we have a corresponding south application I'll go through in a minute. Uh, you may recognize this area, Dulles 28 Center over here, uh, CarMax and the other dealerships in this area. Uh, this is a request uh, for a zoning concept land amendment, zoning conversion, and a special exception. This would allow them to construct a 10-acre storage lot that would be used to store vehicles in association with a car rental facility, an enterprise facility on the southern applications. Uh, much like the, the application we just looked at for High Point East, this is within the corridor. 
It is anticipated for high-quality office uses or mixed-use development with office uses. Uh, so this does run contrary to that plan. Uh, we have asked the applicant to look into uh, pro providing some uh, larger tree save areas or committing to a higher canopy to try to offset um, some of the massing of the parking that they're looking into providing. Uh, but we have flagged it as a, as a policy question. They're looking at this as an interim use. Um, so the question we would ask for, what is interim, our ability to enforce that interim case? Uh, our preference would be to, again, try to make the site as, as logical as possible um, and then allow for some sort of future use. Um, but try to screen it, try to do some other things to make it uh, not as obtrusive along the corridor. Okay, any questions on this one? I guess I'm the only one that has questions on these. Um, so again, being Route 28 core, we would expect a four to five story building. Um, I guess they can explain why they don't want to build a smaller uh, acreage but taller building to fit into that uh, system. This would be their fleet. They would all the cars that they have for enterprise. This would be where they would store that. So it is. It's a little bit different, though, I guess we could argue, than the CarMax that's across the street, uh, just in terms of its nature, uh, just being a primary storage. Again, it's just, is the commission comfortable with the design and layout that they have that this would be a interim use we wouldn't have along the corridor? So I'd like to find out what their definition of, of uh, interim use is, okay. not, not ours. And what, did, what, what happened, or can you tell us what the... Uh, requirements were when the CarMax came in was the was that also listed as 28 core when the CarMax was approved or was that prior to the uh, 28 tax district that predates the Route 28 corridor plan it doesn't predate the district but it pre oh. it doesn't predate the the tax district but at the time CarMax came in I believe that was a keynote area and not a core. core okay all right any other questions <clears throat> all right Next. Okay. Question? Yes, Mr. Kears. Um, so when, when you look at interim use, well, I, I kind of look at it, and I don't know, you guys, staff looks at it the same way, but it, it no longer becomes an interim use when the property becomes more valuable as a, another type of use, at which point it makes sense to eliminate the parking lot and put whatever that higher value thing would be. Um, I can't think of any other way to, to say, okay, well, interim use is only X number of years. It's going to be whenever the development finally gets to the point where that land is more valuable as something else other than a car parking lot. Would that? Yeah, the, the staff is not proposing a specific timetable, yeah. and, and we're working on that on the envision process now, and it, it really is the ease with which the property and the uh, can be converted to something else. Yeah. Parking lots is a prime example for us. And that, it, it seems to me that if this type of use would be much easier to convert to something else than if there was a multitude of buildings on there, which you have much higher money invested in them. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's where we're spending a little more time on maybe looking at the perimeter screening, doing some else, something else to make sure that it doesn't – what you don't want to do is have this, the way it's maintained or operated over time, um, start to detract or start right. to negatively influence its right. neighbors. So. so I concur with your comments about making sure we get some decent screening along there for the, because it's. Okay, Mr. Lloyd. How many cars are proposed to be parked there? I can get that number for you. 
<laughs> okay, thank you. Next. Okay, uh, number 11. Uh, this is the corresponding application to the south. Uh, these are special exceptions. Um, this is on, also under the 72 zoning ordinance, uh, zone C1, commercial. Uh, this would allow for, again, this is a, north of Church Road, east of Route 28. This is their special exception plat, Church Road and Atlantic Boulevard here. What they're asking to do is a gas pumps uh, with um, convenience store in this location. In this location, a special exception for auto sales and service to include vehicle renter, rental, about 15,000 square feet. Uh, within these areas, the option to develop a fast food restaurant, sit-down restaurant, or an alternative building locations in these areas surrounded by uh, parking. Uh, again, the, the intended use, the mixed-use office uses are anticipated in this area. Uh, again, they're offering as an interim use to a future use. Unlike the parking lot scenario, these are a little bit more, got more intense hard structures and the ability or the comfort level that these could be uses that would be there indefinitely. I think one of the early suggestions when we first met with the applicant was perhaps moving the gas station and others to along Atlantic and leaving this open to some other future use. Uh, they were looking to, to capitalize on the visibility of, of Church Road. So again, the, the layout and the design, is the commission comfortable that this could be a use developed for an indefinite period of time along the <coughs> corridor and along Church Road? Similar to the one above, looking at tree conservation given the existing canopy on the area or looking at a 20% tree canopy coverage across the entire spec site. Uh, there's some discussion about uh, bus shelters on either side of Atlantic Boulevard. Uh, I think their preference is to construct one. Our recommendation, we have one on both sides. So any north-south trips can be caught. Um, so we would ask, uh, we go to work session so you could further discuss the uh, policy guidance and the layout of the uses on the site. Okay, questions? Mr. Jennings. It occurred to me on the on the prior one, but but it's, multiplied here rental car rental facilities have a real high volume of in and out so I'm interested in a couple of things one the geography that this rental center is intended to cover I presume they're not re when they may be relocating part out of Dulles um, so I'm just interested in, ha in, in the, the region and I'm interested in the volume which I think has a traffic implication that I'd, I'd like to know as well as screening Yes, sir. Okay. Other questions? Yes, Mr. Scheel. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I attended a uh, sort of a charrette in regard to uh, the creation of a historic district for Old Sterling, and there were several plans forwarded uh, in regard to properties directly east of what we see here, and I'd like to see those plans in conjunction with uh, what has been proposed for this area. Uh, I'm wondering about the compatibility of three fast food restaurants to uh, a historic area. And so uh, I would love to see those uh, plans that were formulated by I can't remember the name of the group, but it was sort of a downtown 
Sterling Consortium okay. that met at a Chairman, uh, can I ask furniture store. Was it the design cabinet, Charette? It might have been. I, I can't recall the exact name. But we met at the furniture store in Sterling, okay. and there were about 20 or 30 people there, mostly uh, people who had businesses in the old Sterling area. And they were concerned about the overall development uh, about it. Okay. Mr. Chairman, I also mentioned that the Heritage Commission received a briefing on the application earlier this week. Okay. Uh, and so they will be providing a couple of comments about some specific recommendations. Okay. Chair Salinas, so this, to clarify, this is, they're not asking for three fast food restaurants. They're allowed, they're asking for the option of any of these three pad sites. They'd be able one to restaurant at restaurant. one of three different locations. Fast food, one uh, standalone building. Okay. No problem. Um, <coughs> other questions? I had, yes, Mr. Kears. Just as a follow-up, piqued my curiosity about what, if there's anything there planned, because I'm not aware of anything there that would be of any kind of significant or historic nature anymore. We had the one church, and there was no interest in doing anything to save that. There was the old uh, community school community building. I don't know if that's still there, if that got torn down. But other than that, I don't know of anything along there that's. Mr. Mr. Chairman, the, uh, the Charette will pro uh, report will probably speak to that. I do believe there was a survey done some time ago that did not f find that it rose to the level of being a, a national uh, registered pro uh, district. So. Okay. I remember several years ago, I recall some effort to that, and it didn't seem it, to go anywhere. And I wonder if there was—that's what this is referring to, or if there was anything more recent. If there was more, there was so, a more recent I'd be design, design discussion with the neighborhood. There's a lot of interest in trying to revive the area, and that's what the design shred was was looking at. Gotcha. We'll bring okay. that. Um, I had one question, and it might be somewhat related to the other one. The uh, the first uh, uh, application, the north application, where is the um, uh, access? Is it via Ruritan, Ruritan Circle, or is it via Atlantic, or is it via? It's via Atlantic. It's via Atlantic. I'm sorry, from the. Uh, I'm sorry, through the southern site. So it is, so through the southern site gets you down to. Church Road. To Church. Church Road, yes. Sir. Okay. Or Atlantic, or Atlantic. Or Atlantic. Okay. So this, you'll see this is north, and when you go to the south, you have the option. So it connects up here. This is the north side. You have the option to either go to church or go out to Atlantic. And the north, the north one has no other entrance. It's only to the south? Correct. Church is right in only. Okay. Church is right. She's correcting me. Church is right in only. <laughs> okay. But yes, the, the northern site would come through this site and then exit on directly onto Atlantic, but no direct access on Atlantic from the northern site. So if we approve the north, then we better approve the south. <laughs> Otherwise, we've got some troubles. Okay. Keep, write that down, Cliff. Um, all right. Any other questions? All right. Next. Okay. Your last application, Quantum Park. Zoning concept plan amendment to zoning ordinance modifications. You'll recognize this as the Verizon campus, the old UUNet campus, uh, Loudoun County Parkway, Waxpool Road. What's that? WorldCom? Yeah. Don't forget WorldCom. WorldCom went through several iterations. There was a concept development plan that basically in these spots here and here carried forward this building layout. They're asking to, to 
remove those building footprints from the concept development plan uh, and allow them in this area here and in this location here basically to, to uh, at their own uh, design, basically maximize or, or put any sort of building, building footprint they want to. Sorry, that wasn't very eloquent. Um, with, in order to do so, they're asking to re reduce some of the setbacks to Waxpool Road, also reduce the building setbacks to future Lockridge Road. Uh, they are offering the right-of-way to allow for that connection out to Loudoun County Parkway. Um, I think overall we're closing the gap in terms of outstanding issues. There was some discussion of enhancing their building design were these to be closer to uh, Lockridge Road. And I believe those conversations are ongoing. And there are some discussions of offsetting the buffer reduction uh, along Waxpool Road. Did I say that correctly? I'm going to turn on you. Steve Barney, he's the project manager. Uh, just to clarify, not a setback reduction to Waxpool Road, just a buffer yard reduction. Okay. Thank you. Any other questions? No. Okay. With that, the Planning Commission work session is completed. We'll now move to the Planning Commission. I'm sorry, the Planning Commission briefing is, is uh, completed, and now we'll move to the Planning Commission work session. Our first work session item is ZMAP 2016-0001 National Conference Center East, ZMAP 2016-0002 National Conference Center West. Welcome, Ms. Marsh. Thank you. Tonight uh, we are here to present the work session for National Conference Center East and West. We're going to do things a little differently tonight. I'm going to let the applicant make the presentation to update the commission on the changes that they have made. If the commission will recall, we saw this last November, and staff did have some outstanding issues as far as the transportation access, mainly from the west portion of the property onto the school board-owned property. We know that the applicant has been working diligently with the school board and with the Lansdowne community to address this issue. So without further ado, I will turn this over to the applicant, then we can wrap up with our recommendation and answer any questions for the commission. Welcome, Ms. Gillis. I've been told I need to go very, very fast. It's totally fine. I'm missing a birthday dinner to be here this evening, so I'm good. Uh, just for recollection uh, and reference, uh, we've got two applications here. Uh, they would uh, rezone a portion of uh, two portions of the National Conference Center property and also rezone the National Conference Center to PDOP. Um, since uh, since we were last with you, or since the commencement of the application, we've had 19 meetings with various interested parties, and we've had 14 meetings, more than one a month, uh, since we were last here last November. This was the eastern portion of the property, and that was the layout that you all saw last November at public hearing. It represents 94 units, and uh, through a number of meetings, not the, not the least of which was a recommendation by the Lansdowne on the Potomac HOA to increase the unit sizes to be more consistent with the balance of the lands on the Potomac HOA units. Uh, you see this 
revised plan with uh, additional open space, reduced density, and this plan represents 3.65 dwelling units the acre. You can see the areas surrounding the 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 units, lots of areas of open space, lots of tree save area, um, and we're quite proud of this uh, of this plan. Uh, on the western portion of the property, this is uh, currently today mostly a surface parking lot. If you've ever been over to the National Conference Center, this used to be the most desirable place to park. The most desirable place to park now at the National Conference Center is in that lovely parking garage, which is off-site to this parcel. What you saw in about a year ago was uh, this layout, 32 units uh, and a connection off-site to the south that would connect us through the Riverside High School property and a connection to Charlene Beth Drive. We had five requests in modifications and they were age restricted units through the process over the last year we've reduced the number of units uh, from tw from 32 to 27 units we've reduced we've eliminated the connection the direct transportation connection through the Riverside High School property and created a connection you can see the white bar to the north right under the word November uh, that would provide a direct transportation connection to Kiphart. As I said earlier, we've reduced the number of units by five, and uh, this also reflects that increased unit size that was a specific and direct request of the Lance on the Potomac HOA. We've also eliminated all but one modification. So this gives you a little bit more detail on the agreed-upon Kiphart uh, entrance to the north won't belabor the point um, but you can see how it goes through uh, it utilizes an existing uh, public access easement uh, an existing I should say fire and rescue um, temporary access and we're converting it into a permanent access minimal traffic impacts uh, from our project reducing the number of overall trips by 71 over over what is existing today um, excuse me, over what was proposed a year ago. And then this demonstrates these, the directional signage to Upper Belmont uh, to continue to direct people not through the residential neighborhood in Kiphart, but rather to direct them to the public road, the access to the Riverside High School, and also the elementary school that's up there. Uh, lots of open space throughout the project. On the western portion, we've got about half of our property is open space, programmed active and, um, and passive recreation. You can see uh, what's highlighted here is, uh, is some of those active recreational amenities. Um, and then on the eastern portion of the project, we are excited about um, the possibility of incorporating a dog park here that would be for the benefit not just of us, but also subject to a reciprocal easement agreement with the lands on the Potomac HOA so that they could utilize our amenities and we utilize theirs. We've worked through a couple of, uh, jumped through a couple of hoops and jumped a couple of hurdles to get to that point. Uh, we've also committed to complementary architecture. We envision complementary architecture. We'll have to go and get reviewed by the Conservancy uh, to ensure that they are in agreement that this is attractive architecture, but you can see that it is uh, maybe not identical to, but consistent with the architecture elsewhere in Lansdowne. And of particular note, we are consistent with the comprehensive plan. I'd like to stop here and just have us have a moment of silence for that, but, um, but I'll keep going. Uh, I mentioned all of the different public meetings that we had, and with that, I'm happy to answer any questions that you have. 426? I'm so impressed. <laughs> all right. Does anybody have any questions? Mr. Kears? No, you're in a hurry, so I'll, I'll try to keep it to about 45 minutes. Oh, great. So. <laughs> it's like labor. Um, <laughs> only thing I wanted to ask is we had, we had a conversation about the proffered amenities mm -hmm. for the small site. And uh, what I get back to is, is how I learned about Loudoun County's proffer system was dealing with it in Broadlands. And we had a uh, 
back when Broadlands was conceived in the mid-'80s, they were using a, a concept I think was popular in the 70s, which is little exercise stations that you have along walking trails. That was like all the rage for a certain period of time. So between the developer and the county, they thought it was a good idea along our walking trails through the woods that it would be a good idea to cut down beautiful mature trees so you could put a chin-up bar there. And then 100 feet down, you put uh, a couple of a place where you do a sit-up. And so what happened is, well, the developers started doing that, and I think they got as far as cutting down the trees for one of these sections, and the association said, stop, we don't want that. And the developer said, well, I've got a proffer that says I have to do it. And I said, that's okay, we'll go to the county and tell them we don't want that anymore, so don't do it. And the county's response is, they have to do it, or else they've got to come in, they've got to do a whole plan review and amendment, and, it's gonna, and so the developer's like, we're not going to do that because of the cost. Now, we, we found a technicality to, to fulfill the proffer but not cut down the trees. At the end of the day, we got an amenity that we have no use for and don't use versus, you know, we could have maybe taken that money and built an amenity that we wanted. So this is a long way getting to the point about the one section on the west, they, oh, you got a gazebo and a pickleball court. Well, that's all well and nice, but maybe you have 27 people to move in that don't give a rat's patootie about pickleball and say, gee, I wish we would have had you know, a couple of barbecue pits and picnic tables there. That would have been nice. Well, sorry, you can't. You're getting a pickleball court because that's what the proffer says. Um, so, so what I had a conversation with the applicant about was, and can we put in the language that says, you're going to get a gazebo or a pickleball court unless the community says, you know what, we'd rather have this. And, that, that, and the county won't come back and say, no, you're getting a pickleball court and a gazebo because that's the only thing we have written in the proffer. So, A, I was wondering if the applicant was still willing to do that so that when the 27 people are moving, they say, you know what, we got this little piece of property, and here's what we got planned. What would you like to see instead? And if you know, the cost is good, the developer can say, hey, you know what, we'll give you that instead, and everybody's happy. Somebody will take my land use lawyer card away if I deny an applicant the right to additional flexibility. So with that, we are absolutely happy to bake in some additional flexibility to give the future residents that, that right to choose what they want to do in this location. I think it's going to take some coordination with staff and with the county attorney's office, as I see Laurie shaking her head yes, but we're absolutely happy to explore that and incorporate that, that flexibility. This is, you know, is, is a relatively small, but I'd really kind of like to see that kind of flexibility baked into more and more residential app, especially small ones where you're not going to get a lot of amenities, but it would be nice to know the residents are getting what they wanted and not what an applicant and, and staff thought three years prior to that or five years prior or even more in some cases. So that's it. Thank you. Great. Mr. Scheel. Uh, uh, Mr. Scheel asks, where is the basketball court? Your, your microphone. Where is the basketball court? The basketball court, I think you were just about to say, it is the blue area. Um, uh, yeah, there. Okay. Yep, that's the basketball court. Okay. I would rather, this is sort of on the line of Mr. Kearse's, um <clears throat> talk, that I would rather see more active recreational facilities than so much open space. Um, and perhaps even a basketball court for the northwest portion because it's paved and it can also be used for tennis, it can be used for volleyball, it can be used for a lot of different sports, shuffleboard. In other words, it's, it's a multi-purpose uh, 
it's a multi-use athletic uh, facility when you have something paved that can take a large area and also be used for small areas as well. And so that's my general comment. I would like to see more athletic facilities and perhaps uh, instead a little less open space in, in that uh, design. Thank you. Okay. Do you want to respond to that or no? Just going to include that in the other legal discussions. I, I'm, I'm interested in the, the commission's direction on that, whether we're going to go the direction of, of, a, of flexibility to figure it out as we go forward, or whether or not the commission wants to weigh in and say that's not what we want and we want it in a different location. I will say that we have represented to the Landsound on the Potomac HOA and the Conservancy these amenities that were there, and, and we have worked through a reciprocal easement agreement with that HOA to determine how we can share everybody's amenities. So that might be one way that we get to the flexibility earlier is working with the HOA, but that said, I, um, I, I, I defer to the commission in your all's direction. Commissioner Sisley. Um, I'm just going to jump in and start a straw vote. I would go in the direction of um, the greater flexibility because I, think, I do think that communities change their mind about desired amenities and the flexibility to the HOA um, would be far preferred than something more permanent. South Riding has a bocce ball uh, court. I'm not sure it's anybody's ever used it. I love bocce ball. That's I great. I one in my backyard. Careful. Come, by, <laughs> come on by. It's between a bunch of houses that you can't get to. Mr. Priscilla. I think the flexibility is good, and you stole my thunder as long as we have the ability to have a bocce. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Put that down. Uh, any other comments from anybody else? I think that's where I would lean as well. Okay. All right. Any other questions on this application? Ms. Marsh? I'll just follow up to say that staff does support approval of these applications. We don't have any outstanding issues, and we can work with the applicant to talk about flexibility with amenities as the proper discussion continues. Very well. Mr. Jennings, this is in the Ashburn District. Yes, it is. I, <clears throat> this is quite a different application <laughs> than it was uh, a year ago, not the least of which is the support of the Lansdowne and the Potomac <clears throat> HOA and the Lansdowne Conservancy. I, this is remarkable. I think you've done a great job. I was not optimistic, and I'm thrilled that this has actually worked its way through. I think you made a much better application that will actually be to the benefit of the whole community in the region. With that, I move that the Planning Commission, actually we have two different motions, so I'll read them both in. Yep. Okay. Well, does anybody want the motion split out? Separated? No. I don't think so. Okay. Just read them together. I'll read them together then. I move that the Planning Commission forward ZMAP 2016-0001 and special exception 2016-0047 National Conference Center East to the Board of Supervisors with a recommendation of approval subject to the proffer statement dated October 19th, 2017 and the conditions of approval dated October 25th, 2017 and based on the findings for approval in the November 9, 2017 Planning Commission Work Session Memo. Oh, and? 
And I move that the Planning Commission forward ZMAP 2016-0002 National Conference Center West to the Board of Supervisors with a recommendation of approval subject to the proper statement dated October 19th, 2017 and based on the findings for approval in the November 9th, 2017 Planning Commission Work Session Memo. Second and second. Should we add any language regarding the, the possible change for flexibility on the recreation facilities just as amended tonight or as discussed tonight? No direction? Do we, do we need that? Does staff need that? I don't think we need that. Okay. Then, we're, then I think we're fine. Um, motion was uh, made by Commissioner Jennings, seconded by Commissioner Sisley. Any uh, final comments? Mr. Kearse? No? Oh, I get a chance to comment. Well, as long as since you asked me. Um, I, I will, I since, since I was asked to comment, I will uh, echo Commissioner Jennings' comments that when this application came to us the first time, I really didn't. I didn't just not like it. I really didn't like it. Um, and I, I think it's come a long ways, and um, I've known the folks up in Lansdowne for a long, long time. I've dealt with the folks in Lansdowne for a long, long time. And anytime you get those two people to agree, those two boards to agree to something, that is a yeoman's effort, and I commend you for that. Um, but that also goes a long ways towards turning a bad application into a good one. Very well. Thank you. Uh, with no further comments, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion passes 9 0. Thank you. Thank you. It did. It did. Everybody is more than welcome to come to my 11-year-old daughter's birthday celebration. <laughs> bring your Pokemon. Bring your My Little Pony. I did check. Um, said that next year, her birthday is on a Friday. So <laughs> Just keep your schedule as is. We're good. <laughs> Thank you. Very well. Thank you. Our next application is special exception 2016-0060 special exception 2016-0061 special exception 2016-0062 virginia fusion park welcome mr barney Good evening, Chairman, members of the Planning Commission. Welcome. Um, okay, there we go. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Barney, before you start, there is a uh, addition to your I legislate. There is a um, findings for approval um, also added in there. If you didn't uh, see it, you should refresh your screen. Uh, it was added in uh, later this uh, earlier this afternoon. So this is Virginia Fusion Park. Uh, the subject property is located on Briarfield Lane, south of Evergreen Mills Road. And these are special exception applications to establish a lighted soccer field, including modifications to lighting and buffer yard requirements. So what I'll do tonight is review the updates to the application and uh, the current status of outstanding issues. And after each issue, the commission will have the opportunity to discuss and make a recommendation. So first, uh, the height of the light poles, um, based on the revised application, 
materials. The light pole height remains at 80 feet. However, the number of poles has been reduced to four. Uh, so this doesn't change the fact that the 80-foot poles will be visible, but there will only be four of them visible now and not six. Uh, staff does continue to question whether 80 feet is the minimum height necessary to adequately light the fields or if a uh, if shorter poles would suffice. So staff finds this issue to be partially addressed. Okay, let's go through that one uh, one by one. So uh, just as a, um, as a matter of course, I did review, I'm trying to find it now, the new lighting um, uh, photometric studies and it's a significantly better change uh, than what it is. There's only a few sections, if I'm reading this correctly, there's only a few areas where the numbers exceed the uh, requirement. As you remember, they were um, quite high before. Um, the sections that apparently are above the county guidelines are in areas that are subject to commercial um, lighting. Uh, th that'll be commercial properties adjacent to them. And I believe there's been support for um, virtually everybody around the property um, regardless of the lighting as it, as it was before. So this is an improvement greatly. So I'm going to uh, go around. We'll start with Mr. Barnes and see if um, you're, uh, you feel that this is, uh, this is uh, issue with the 80-foot light poles has been addressed. Well, can you do smaller than that, shorter than that? This is what this man does. Is there any way you can go a little bit lower? You're on. Yes, um, Commissioner Barnes, uh, I asked that to the Musco engineers, and they said in order to focus all of the light on the field, the height is important. To lower it would cause more spill and more glare yep. on adjacent properties. And that's the reason. And it would cause, cause more? It would cause more spill and more glare off-site. You off have a flashlight like this? It goes farther out than if you have a flashlight like this, it goes. Because you can aim it better down towards where you want the light to go. And I'll, I'll say that there are a lot of lighted parks in the county and other jurisdictions that are all 80 feet tall. The school fields are 80 feet? Yeah. Yes. Okay. okay. Mr. Shield? Fine with me. Great. Mr. Priscilla, Splackburn, Jennings. I'm going to ask someone question then. Uh, I like to think I'm fine with the illumination. What is the, you talked last time about screening the lights themselves from, because while there's a photometric spill, lumen um, spill that, that you're controlling with the lighting, when you're looking at an 80-foot pole, are you still seeing the lamping? within it and its illumination? The actual bulb, mm -hmm. you can see it when you are close to the property, but not when you're further away because, and I can show you later on, I've got a picture that shows that the bulb is recessed within the housing, okay. but when they install the lighting at the end of the day, and if there is any glare issues, then that's when they put on those shields if they need to. Okay, and you're willing to do that? If, yes. Okay, then I'm fine with it. Okay, Mr. Kearse. Yeah, so the lot subjected to the most light spillover, um, I think you had the numbers in here, just a hair under seven foot candles. Those are the immediate adjacent parcels, is that correct? 
That is correct. And also, am I correct, because we had a couple letters of support from the adjacent property owners, and I asked about ones that they said they had letters. I noticed a few more letters were included here of support. So would I be correct in stating that all of the adjacent property owners that would be subject to this light spillover has submitted a letter of support? With the exception of the uh, owner of the property, properties to the west and south. Uh, those are the undeveloped are lots? Green. I'm sorry? Yeah. But those are all point zeros. On, on that's true. So the west is now um, no longer. So there is no space, basically. So, so this is your def definition right there, point 0.9. That's point 0.2 is under 2.5. These are all under point 0.25. Yep. It's, it's this property here. It's these two lines here and these two lines here. Right. And those are the ones we have letters from. And we have letters. This is commercial. Right. And they right. do have got a, uh, they have a letter. I'm not sure we got a letter from them. But that's effectively commercial, too. Okay, and I think we did get a letter from them. Yes. We may have. Yeah. We did. Okay. Okay. All right. That's just wanted to confirm that. Thanks. Right, Mr. Sisley. I'm good. Mr. Lloyd. Light. What material are the light posts made out of? Is it a steel post? Or wood I believe there'll be aluminum, something of a lighter material. And they're going to be painted or just going to be natural they'll be, color? I guess they'll be, they'll be protected from corrosion. But okay. they will be of, kind of a, a silver color, then silver or cream colored. They would be the same material used at all the other parks in Loudoun County, so they would they would be the silver. Okay. Yep. Thank you. Okay, so you're yes. Okay, and I'm a yes, so uh, I think we're good on that one. Let's go to the next issue. Okay, we've already begun to discuss this, but. Um, so with respect to light encroachment, the new lighting plan reduces the spillover area and there are reduced foot candles at the property line. And um, briefly, this was the previous plan showing a pretty significant area of spillover in the, um, uh, the kind of irregular polygon in the northwest and south. And this is the new plan. The lights are pulled in closer to the center. There's also two fewer lights and uh, the spillover area is is significantly less. Um, there is a moderate amount of spillover on the properties to the south, the landscaping company in red and a vacant property in green. Of course, the spillover on the north is on the Evergreen Meadows property approved for commercial uses. Um, so, uh, you know, well, staff would recommend uh, the applicant achieve 0.25 foot candles at the property line. We do acknowledge this is a, a significant improvement over the um, previous spillover. Okay, let's go backwards, Mr. Lloyd, Mr. Sisley, Mr. Kearse, Mr. Jennings, Miss Blackburn, Miss Priscilla, Mr. Yes, yes. All right, we're good. I actually thought I was voting on both of those at the same time. So, oh, okay. So, in terms of buffer modifications, there has um, been no change to the request, and so staff um, uh, find these two be not addressed. Um, the key issue is the lack of a buffer yard on, or proposed buffer yard on the southern and western sides of the property. And now that the fields have been reconfigured, there appears to be adequate room between the edge of the field and the southern and western property line to install barrier. And so there, there appears to be no reason to not install a, a buffer. Um, 
except for the fact the applicant would need to relocate uh, portions of the existing fence that um, has been constructed. Um, so, um, so staff considers this issue to not be addressed. However, we, we do also acknowledge that the, um, the area proposed for no buffer is not adjacent to any existing residential uses. Okay, so let me see if I understand it correctly. The red is where the staff says that the issues has not been addressed, correct? Uh, correct. The red. And then on the yellow, it's been partially addressed. Uh, the yellow is a modified buffer that is acceptable to staff. And I should also add that um, plantings that would not be planted uh, at, in the front yard buffer uh, will be relocated throughout the site. Okay. And on the on the east side, that's where you're actually, and I just drove by there today, your parking lot was chained off, so I couldn't, like, do donuts. But um, it goes down, the, the actual ball field goes down quite a bit. Um, on the red section, what we're looking at is to the west is a piece of property that's um, zoned residential, but it's in the 65. Um, there's a significant amount of wetlands and woods, and it's not been developed yet, correct? That is correct. And it's staff's impression that it'll never be uh, developed because of the amount of wetlands on the property. There's significant environmental challenges developing that property. On the, on the south side, <laughs> I mean, you can, build, you can build houses on stilts, right? Um, on the south side, you have a commercial pro what, what, what we believe to be a commercial facility. And then on the southwest side is a vacant lot that's wooded that's not currently um, uh, uh, being built on. It could technically be a resident because it was um, grandfathered in prior to the 65 LDN. Correct. However, um, you'd be in a 65 LDN, which is against county policy for residences. So even though I, I would I would assume that staff uh, or building and development would make note of that if anybody were to come in and say, I want to build a really nice house on that property, we would tell them, you can, you're legally allowed to do that. By the way, did you know you're really near an airport and you're in the 65? Um, so I, I'm, I'm guessing that's what staff would do, Mr. Merrithew. We would advise of the airport overlay district impact, yes. I would think so. Um, okay, so that's where we are. Mr. Lloyd, what are your thoughts on the buffers? Is this sufficient or do you feel they need additional buffer? I'm okay with it. Okay, Mr. Sisley. Are any of the, the property that's in adjacent to the west, is that in a floodplain? Uh, not mm. floodplain, but there is a significant pond and some likely wetlands between the pond and the property line. Is it a spring? What's causing the wetlands? It's not the floodplain. Um, I don't have that information, but um, that's something we could find out. Okay. But there's a big enough pond that you couldn't really build a house on it. Yeah. All right, I'm going to have to reserve, reserve opinion about the buffer. Mr. Snyder. I guess one of the things we just want, Steve and I had talked about at length was I think part of the challenge is because this is an existing facility, they've built over that buffer. So they would have to retrofit it to bring it in. They have to bring the fences back 
and plant behind it, and there would be some ability or an ability to maintain it behind it. So I just wanted to clarify part of the challenge why they can't provide it is because the existing facility is already built over it. Um, so just wanted to make that clear. Okay. Okay, so you're a abstain or a no? I'm a maybe. You're a maybe? Okay. Mr. Kears. So now that the, you know, guys, I'm, I'm, I don't think there needs to be a full bottom. I'm wondering, could any kind of a tree line or something, shrub line, be planted along there? Because, I, I mean, even the fence is all the way in, you could still put, you don't have to move the fence to plant a row, some shrubs or trees along there, do you? Staff? Oh. That's a staff it's, question. It's, well, I, I just I just want to follow up that you said that the fence would have to be moved in order to put the buffer. Why couldn't? It's from a, could uh, they put the buffer behind the fence? From an ordinance perspective, there's no issue with um, putting the buffer in front um, behind the fence. I can't speak to how this would affect the feasibility of the applicant's use of the property. It's, it's just soccer balls and trees are probably don't play well together. So part of the reason why they have the fence and the screening is to to uh, to keep the activities within. So if you're constantly having uh, soccer balls being shot across that buffer and through the tree lines, so it probably makes sense to bring that fence in, contain the the, uh, the screens for the uh, play, and then have the, the screening behind it. But you but you could you could put I mean you could technically I go out there soccer and put balls the into the trees plenty of times. Yeah, I'm just the saying the trees will stop them from going over the fence. You could, I guess, in theory, you could that they would have to, but whether or not that would be a desirable condition for the applicant, there's just there's a cost involved for the applicant to be able to do that. Pull, if they decided to move behind the fence, they'd have to pull the fence forward. Then pay to put the landscaping in. So in this case, I guess they technically could. They pulled the lights forward. They used to be right on the property line. They pulled them forward. Um, just a question of would that interfere with play? And it sounds like it may not. So this is specifically in the back. So you have the back where the pond is on the west side. Uh, there's almost there's a 50 foot in the CR one. CR one you require a 50 foot. So there's a significant amount of area that could allow for some vegetation. Although as we've already pointed out. It's unlikely that that would impact any future use behind it. The, the benefit of that buffer probably wouldn't be realized. So does that makes sense. What I'm saying, if normally it's screening, the benefit if there would be any future development on the south side, that would that's where the buffer would matter. Probably less of an issue on the back side, given the limited development. And, and the fence is on the property line. Is that just about right now? Yes, sir. Within a few feet. So, okay. Okay. So you're yes. Yeah, I, th I think I'm okay with it, and, and I look at to the west um, because of the type of land that's there. I'm not overly concerned about the buffer, and you've got a fairly wide distance from the end of the soccer field to the property line. To the south, not as much. It's generally a commercial use property, and you've got a letter of support from th that property owners as well. So um, I, I'd really, I'm okay with it. Thank you. Mr. Jennings, you're on. I think I'm, I'm, I echo the same thoughts on the west and the south. I'm not as concerned. Can you just describe what the modified, what the modification is on the east, which faces the road and the the one that staff's okay with? Hmm? The one that staff's yeah, okay I just want to know what the modification is. Okay. Sure. Um, due to the presence of um, uh, overhead power lines, the applicant is proposing to. Um, plant only shrubs uh, on the, the shrubs and, correct me if I'm wrong, Russ, shrubs and understory trees uh, on 
on the front adjacent to the Barfield Lane, and then the canopy trees would be relocated throughout the site. And that's due to power line issue? Correct. Okay. I'm okay. Okay, Ms. Blackburn. I'm okay. I don't think the pond needs to be buffered. Mr. Priscilla? Mr. Scheel? Mr. Barnes? Very well. Um, I'm uh, I'm really concerned that uh, the uh, the pond needs to get more buffering or you know, those trees. I'm just kidding. I'm I'm fine with that. So add that to the conditions. We're 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 in, we're an eight in favor. Uh, eight eight point eight point five in favor. So I think we're we're good with that one. So let's go to the fourth item. Okay. So uh, so regarding parking, um, the applicant has submitted a parking analysis. Parks and Recreation has provided staff some uh, parking information about how they park their fields, and the conditions of approval have been uh, updated. So, as you'll recall in our previous discussion, the zoning ordinance doesn't provide clear parking standards for outdoor fields, and staff had expressed concern that the proposed 43-space parking area would not be sufficient uh, for all the activities proposed on the site. So we requested the applicant provide more detailed parking information. Uh, and uh, as I said, they did provide a parking analysis in their traffic study. Um, and uh, which I'll review briefly here. So this is the table from the applicant's analysis. It shows weekday and weekend figures. I won't go through all the figures, but it's based on two fields. Uh, for the total number of officials, coaches, players, and spectators per field multiplied by 0.33, and their calculations yield a parking requirement of 43 spaces, and 43 spaces is what they're providing. So uh, staff continues to have concerns about the adequacy to serve the, the two fields shown on the plat. Parks and Recreation, um, we've learned typically provide 60 spaces per playing field. Uh, now this assumes two teams uh, per field uh, and um, applying this methodology would yield um, 120 space requirement if both of the applicants fields were used for games at the same time. And presumably um, uh, two fields used for practice, one team per field would be 60 spaces. So the site does have limited space uh, there's no other area that can be converted to parking without regrading portions of the site, and there's real, no real overflow. So to partially address this issue, um, staff's updated the conditions of approval. There's a, a revised condition that now states that weekday use will be limited to soccer, soccer practice. There's a half hour between the end of one practice and the beginning of the next. This is to address overlap. And... Um, I do also want to note that by approving a specs, we, we're not approving parking per se. Um, we do evaluate the parking during the re review of a specs to determine if it's feasible, but parking is ultimately determined at the site plan. So having said that, um, in light of what we've learned about the parks and recreation typical requirement for their own fields, um, we've recommended one additional condition. and. This would say to the effect that uh, at any given time, uh, use of the fields or use of the property would be limited to one game or practice by two teams unless the zoning administrator determines that sufficient parking is available. And should the commission choose to recommend approval, 
um, of the applications tonight, um, we would recommend that this condition um, be part of the motion. Um, now, in the future, we did discuss generally the concept of off-site parking, off-site uh, accessory parking at the uh, public hearing, and there's the potential for off-site parking at the Evergreen Meadows development to the north. Now that development is approved but has not yet been built yet. Um, it's also not uh, part of the specs boundary, so we can't really consider off-site parking as part of this application on the Evergreen Meadows site, but that's something that the applicant could pursue uh, in the future. And uh, the commission also received an email from uh, the owner of the Chantilly Turf Farm stating that there's off-site parking available uh, at their site. Uh, I measured on GIS, the entrance um, to that property appears to be about 2,300 linear feet from the Virginia Fusion Park site. That's generally farther than staff would consider for, for off-site parking, but just information for the commission. So, so with that, staff considers this issue to be partially addressed. Okay. So let me make sure I, I, I'm clear on a couple a couple issues before we go around. These are U10 fields, so it's 9 by 9, and I think your uh, PRCS uh, numbers were related to full, full bore 11-on-11 uh, uh, 11 -11 games, so those numbers are um, slightly higher than they would be for these fields, correct? Um, PRCS would apply the same parking calculations to, to U12 and under, um, the same as to U13 and, and above. Okay. Because the... Because the, <laughs> there's fewer kits. There's, 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 there's four fewer kids, though. That's... Um, Times two. My understanding from Parks and Rec staff, and uh, right. I, I didn't get. I'll just, I'll just, basically. I'll just subtract eight and go with fifty-two. Instead, we'll go with that. Um, uh, your other question was related to. Oh, I probably just forgot it. Um, this math stuff's killing me. Um, oh, so, so this is a condition that has the applicant reviewed the condition and are they, um, have they given approval that they're okay with this uh, particular condition? Uh, the applicant has reviewed the condition. I don't have feedback yet. Okay. Mr. Pankovic or Mr. Forno. Yes, we just received the condition tonight um, and uh, we are not happy with the one field operation condition. Um, we feel that it would be crippling to the business and being able to stay open. Um, but I do want to state that the two uh, maximum of two games would occur on weekends, not during the weekday when traffic is of a big concern, um, and especially during peak hours in the morning and the afternoon. Training activities would be would only be restricted would be restricted to the weekdays only. So there would be no matches where you would have um, parents, friends, or whatever coming to the field. Typically. All right. So, and I'm not sure we need to define teams versus bodies. I think it might be better to describe users because if you're going to do practice, you could. Could have six teams practice as long as there's no more than 18 people on the field, right? It would be the same. 
that would be your concern is is not the number of of teams but rather the number of of bodies correct mr yes i will say that um or we a, could say a condition that specifies the number of bodies on the field will be very difficult to enforce okay but how do you how do you define a team then because i think a team is even worse in my in, in my estimation i mean if you're going to say a team is really um nine 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 people plus a coach or maybe two coaches um there's no ref because it's a practice field um so it's 10 people but is he going to say you know the the green shirts and the and the and the red shirts are one team even though it's two separate people and then the blues and the and the yellows are are are, are another team i i think the really the concern is really the number of of people and it's really the it's really the number of cars and what we're assuming is everybody only has there's no carpool we're, we're assuming no carpooling is what we're assuming and that might be a good assumption these days back when i played we we carpooled or i rode my bicycle up to south run park and uh and such marchant or no, I just want to say, I think we just offered this as a tool to be able to address it. We flag parking. Okay. We were asked to look at the other standards. Yeah. Loud and soccer, I think, has about double the, the parking that would always be required. So we wanted to offer it as comparison per your request. Yep. We offered a, con a condition to perhaps address it if you were so inclined. And if you feel comfortable with what they proposed, then we expect you to move forward with that. Okay. Yeah. The one, one other question. Um, because I just remembered it, the uh, Chantilly Turf Farm down the street, 2,500 uh, feet from the um, property line, 1,500? The entrance to Chantilly Turf Farm, the vehicular entrance, is about 2,300 feet. 23. Okay. Um, but when you make your estimation, I'm assuming you're assuming an average person, but the people that are going to these things are actually, I mean, like, like not like me, but like, the uh, soccer player over there, the real soccer player over there. So they they probably, I mean, understand that that's that's a, a standard, and you can't really say, well, these guys are more fit, so they can walk farther. But in reality, they can walk farther, right? Sure. I would just say the uh, zoning ordinance um, zoning ordinance standard is 500 feet. Okay. Mr. Chair. Yes, Mr. Priscilla, then Mr. Sisley. One of the other one of the other differences between the uh, Parks and Rec and the applicants is the applicant has staggered his games and practice sessions. Uh, the Parks and Rec includes an overlap, okay. so in their parking space generation, if my understanding is correct, they account for that overlap, which is why they provide for more parking because people are still there and people are coming. Where the applicants made a condition that that won't be the case. Um, Parks and Rec does build an overlap into its calculations. Okay. So your 52 number is? It's less than that. It should be less. In his case. In this case, because there's, yeah. Okay. And Mr. Sisley. So it's obvious the applicant has neighbors that are friends. And the way that we've seen this problem solved in other situations is a lease, a uh, relatively long-term lease, something in the 10-plus years. So um, is there any way for you to work with your neighbors to get a lease on the adjacent uh, properties for parking since your hours of operation are offset. They don't operate when you do. I've spoken to the neighbors, um, both the um, residential slash landscaping company, and he has a big driveway, and he's like, Bronco, please, anytime you need to use it, 
you can put your car here and then your coaches can park here and then the parents can use your driveway. So here's my point about that. Sorry for the interruption. No, it's okay. Good neighbors sometimes turn into bad neighbors. I Leases don't let people do that. And if you get a lease in place, it would satisfy, I believe, staff's concern that you are underparked currently. And if it's a sufficient period of time, doesn't mean that it won't run Perfect. out or not need to be renegotiated or renewed, but it does serve the purpose of greatly expanding your parking resources to address this and might um, go well to allow the commission to view your application favorably. Yeah, and I, I think the idea, and I, we've seen this before, like a, you know, a $1, uh, it's a contract. It's a, an actual contract, but it's like a, you know, no-fee $1 contract that says I allow um, the adjacent property owner to utilize 7, 10, 12, whatever parking spaces. Would you be willing to, I'm not sure we need to have that tonight. It wouldn't be a condition, but we would, I think, if you could work at that to, um, do that before it goes to the board. I think that would be helpful. That's that's not a problem. They okay. were, they're very supportive and they okay. want this project to succeed. And there are all kinds of people that you no, know I, that will I understand that lease. Sir, I, I understand. Yes. In fact, my neighbor next door has said when I'm when I can afford to buy his property, he'd love to sell it to me. So okay. I don't know when that's going to happen though. But, um, <laughs> well, you're going to be wildly successful. I hope so, Mr. Shield. Parking situations are rarely perfect. And in this regard, I think the fact that we can be providing athletic fields for many of our young men in this area who need it, I think this far outweighs the need for any change in the current parking, especially in, in light of uh, several adjacent fields becoming available, lease or no lease. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to amend Mr. Shields' comments, just in case the reporters are in the room, to, to say men or women, because there's plenty of women soccer players, too. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Barnes. Uh, is there any way we can put a condition in there that they don't have to bring a letter tonight, but when it goes to the board, they will have a lease signed by somebody, like you were talking about before you, they, they go. Are, are you requesting that as a requirement that they have a lease, or because I think the current. I think that was the best idea uh, I heard, Jim. Uh, well, I think the recommendation now is that it, it, it was a request, not a requirement, and it sounds like you're asking it to be a requirement. Are you asking it to be a requirement? I, I would feel comfortable if they did that. Okay. You know, that uh, whatever you can do, you know, to get a lease and send it to the board. Maybe one other conditions. Well, if I could reflect on that for a moment, um, it sounds like the, um, the the property that was being discussed is the landscaping company to the south, um, or, or the Evergreen Meadows. I think is actually so probably is a more place? realistic. So the um, both. How far is it? One's on, one's on the north. One's on the south. Right. Adjacent property owners. There's no there's no existing use or parking on the Evergreen Meadows site. And on the landscaping property, there is no um, commercial site plan that I am aware of. And so I know that, at least from a staff perspective, we probably at this point would not um, look at either of those as, as carrying any weight. 
I mean, okay. can you, and a lot of times I've gone to the sports because my granddaughter plays softball. I go around parking and the people park all over the place and mm -hmm. grass and all that because more people show up than, you know, there are a lot of grandparents show up, there are a lot of parents show up. So actually a lot of cars will happen when somebody's playing. Uh, I don't think 43 spaces will even come close to it to keep in the parents or their relatives or somebody. Everybody wants to come down and watch their grandkids and kids play. That is our concern. Yeah, and that will happen. It's not, it's, I know that will happen because I've been to many games since they were that little and the parking lot was always filled up and parking on the streets and everything else. Uh, it will happen. So if you can get some kind of, you know, even parking on the grass, you know, next door parking space, uh, property you know people park all over the place yeah. well I think that the concern mr. Barnes is that um, that's happening today and that's one of the concerns that the neighbors uh, and the homeowners association have so I think the idea is to mitigate that particular um, detriment and I think they're willing to um, actively go after that so I'm not and, and I think what we need to probably do is a is a quick straw poll to see if we're okay with um, with it as is, or whether we need to require that. And it sounds like you're willing to to you're you're asking for the requirement for them to do that. And I, I think I, what we've heard from Mr. Sisley is he was asking for them to to to, to request it. Mine was a request. It was a request only, not a requirement. Yeah, that, that, that will be all our request is okay. But is there any way you can put another five or six parking spaces where you're putting 43? No. Can they already did that. Is there any way you can squeeze uh, someplace there? We, there might be a chance to put in one or two, but at the possible sacrifice of some interior parking lot landscaping, um, that's where we are now. Give you a best shot, and okay. I'm okay with it. Okay. Mr. Kears? So the facility exists today, correct? You're playing soccer out there. Yes. And does your current lot have 43 as it exists today? No, we have 55. So you have 55 now. Correct. But you're going to drop it to 43. Yes, because of zoning zoning and the tree buffering. Does that mean they're not FSM? F, they're, the, the parking spots are not per the FSM? Is that why? The, f the so, 43. Okay, so I'll go with that. So 43. Um, how are you using the space now? Do you have it? I know your original application was for three fields. How is it being utilized currently? Is it one, two, or three fields? We're just we're utilizing two. Um, there were a couple times when we utilized three, and that's when people parked on the neighbor's grass. I just want to point out that to the right of where Briarfield ends, where my property ends, it's not state-maintained anymore. It's a gravel road. So... And it's a wide gravel road, so people parked to the right. So that was going to be my next question. So Briarfield Lane, is it allowed for parking? It's on a either, road, yes. On either side of it. I'm a, is that yes, correct? Yes, it's wide. But I do, for my neighbors um, across the street, I've told everyone not to park on Briarfield past only past the Bellmead exit actually when it turns into the gravel road and right. park to the right so we don't disturb them right. and we've done that meticulously we've had one instance um, I was going to cover this later but um, 
one of the conditions that's been added to the conditions of approval is to restrict parking on Briarfield Lane, uh, subject well, to VDOT approval, which is one of the commitments that the applicant had made to the HOA. Because I, I look at Briarfield Lane is a road that is adequately, you can park on both sides of the road, and it's legal to park on both sides of the road now. And my question was how many cars can fit on that stretch of Briarfield if people are parked there? A lot. Because I, I go back to you, we have roads, and roads allow parking. And we're, we, I, we make plans assuming nobody's allowed to park on the roads. Yeah, can, we, can we ask uh, DTCI, Rory, to, can, you, uh, can you weigh in on this? There's your answer to where my understanding is you have a legal road to park your cars on. And it, it is my understanding that if it's a public roadway and therefore it's under VDOT control, it would fall under VDOT's regulations regarding parking. So and it, just to be clear, it would have to be built to their standards. Okay, but as far as a public road is concerned, so, so let me ask, the, let the me condition. ask a question. It's it is a it's in the VDOT system at least up to a certain point. It's in the VDOT system, and if it's a road in the VDOT system, it automatically allows parking on it. Is that? And I'm guessing Mr. Moserak is going to tell me all I need to know about parking. Generally, if unless it's restricted, with no parking signs, the par as long as you're out of the travel way allowed it's permissible to park on okay a so so let me ask a question one of the proper commitments that the applicant has made was specific to Briarfield Lane was what that there would be no parking on both sides of Briarfield Lane parking on only a section of Briarfield Lane um, what what exactly is the proper commitment at this point the conditions state um, the applicant will install no parking signs on both sides of Briarfield Lane in the right of way, subject to VDOT approval. And what we wanted to commit to was no parking lanes just across the street. On the east side? Correct. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess we're working at, I, I look at that as we're working against what we're trying to accomplish. We want to be able to park cars, but then we're going to take areas that you can legally park a car and say, now you can't park here. That seems to be kind of contrary. Um, we're also trying to address some of the concerns. And I, I get that, and I would think if, if you put the no parking on the residential on the one side, the east side, that seems like that's a pretty reasonable compromise, and you can still park on the other side. So the times when you do have a lot of people there, you got places to park outside the parking lot along the roadway. So but it also seems to me that allowing parking on that gravel road is a lot easier to manage you know from a legal standpoint than uh, the additional condition for approval I, I would tend to agree Miss um, okay Blackburn it. you have a comment yeah I, I have a comment um, most neighborhoods have streets where you can park on them and and it's like a school has a function in the evening all the, the cars spill all the time into the neighborhoods and they park along the road legally in front of other people's houses they leave at night which is nice we do have some crowding issues in my neighborhood and sometimes the cars don't leave but I can't do anything about it because it's a legal street so I have a little problem with one neighborhood being allowed to refuse to let anybody park on their street right I mean I understand it can be an inconvenience, but it's not like they're spending the night. They're going to come and they're going to go. And if we do it for one street, we're going to have the whole county asking to have nobody allowed to park it down their street. I don't know. Mr. Priscilla. Just in closing, I, th I think the applicant has made a case why the 
the parks and rec number is a little high, a little conservative. And in order to try to accommodate the neighbors, he's trying to make some concessions that further hamper his ability to meet some number, and he's kind of stuck in the middle. I agree with some of the statements. I think he's made a, a reasonable case with his parking analysis that identifies it should work without going back to upset the neighbors now who had a concern and opening that can of worms again. And I don't disagree with what anyone said about a public street. I live next to a park, you know, 15-acre park, and people park in front of my house. It's not my street. It's not my parking spot. Okay. So we're going to do a round robin. Did you have a question? Oh, one more question about trips. Yes. Um, I, I was looking at your questions. It has the one question answered about how many peak trips there are. Um, do we have? I'm looking for the total number of trips average per day. Is it? I think it said down here it says a total of 143 daily trips. Is that the total number of trips per day? That's correct, according to the applicant's traffic site. It's correct. Does sound like a reasonable? Yes. Okay, and you have 72 homes in that community that was built, correct? Briarfield Estates. Yeah, that's correct. I think the number that we pretty much use is 10 trips per day, per home. Generally. Yes. So they generate 720 trips a day, and this would generate 143. And of 72 residential homes would generate how many a.m. and peak? How does that 10 per day come into a.m. and p.m. peak? Do you assume 72 a.m. and 72 p.m., or is it a number higher than that? Around 10%. Sorry, microphone. Yeah, and state your name. It, uh, Chris Turnbull with Wells & Associates uh, Transportation Consultant. Uh, it's usually about 10% of the of the of the total uh, of the total. Yeah. So 120, so about 72 a.m. peak, 72 p.m. peak for the community, and we were showing two. I can see why in the morning only two and 35 p.m. And that's part of it's because of the staggering the times they've agreed. It's taking it away from the peak times. That correct? Correct for the peak hour analysis. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. And commission, okay. just the last thing on that. Yes. Yeah, I had. Uh, Mr. Barney was very helpful in getting me some information that I asked for. Um, the, the AM and PM peak trips, or the AM and PM trips on that road, are nearly 2,000. So that's the order of magnitude we're talking about, you know, with the trips that they have versus what the system is already carrying. Okay. In addition to the. So it's just a it's a blip. Yes. It's a blip. It's a blip. You'd have to do your math again, but. Less than two percent. Yeah, less than two percent. Okay. Made that up. It's always nice to have these engineers run circles around my math capabilities. To clarify, that's the number of trips uh, passing through that intersection. That's correct. Yeah. That, yeah total. Correct. Mm -hmm. not okay. Peak. Right, not peak. Total. Okay. So I, I'm going to ask the question, which is, um, A, without this additional condition on parking, because this is something that the applicant does not feel comfortable with, without this condition, um, is everybody comfortable with the application as it is? And if, if we're okay with it, then we'll move along. And if we're not okay with it without this condition, then we'll discuss this condition afterwards. Um, so, uh, Mr. Barnes. I'm okay, with it. okay, as is without condition four. Mr. Scheel. I don't, I'm not for the additional condition. Um, so I'm for everything. As is without, as is. without this. Yes. So you're a yes. Yep. Mr. Priscilla is a yes. Ms. Barn Blackburn's a yes. Mr. Jennings. I still have parking questions, but I am not in favor of that condition. Okay, so we're a yes. 
Mr. Kearse is a yes. Mr. Sisley is a yes. Mr. Lloyd is a yes. Jeff is a yes. Mr. Salmon is a yes. So I think we're okay with this. I was going to say we're fine with parking, but Mr. Jennings now has a question. So we're going to um, allow Mr. Jennings his question related to parking before we put the parking to rest. Thank you. Where are we on parking then without this condition from the applicant's view? There is. Or for Mr. Barney's view, either. Mr. Barney's view. We are still able to park on Briarfield? Or not? Uh, the conditions would need to be revised to remove the um, applicant's commitment to place no parking signs on Briarfield. But that is a commitment that is in place right now. Correct. It's currently in there. Okay. That's, I, that I'm fine. That's what I was concerned about, that that was removed. You're still going to pursue additional. But that's subject to VDOT approval. Right. So if VDOT says no, you can't have no parking signs, we're going to allow parking, then they would have additional parking there. They're going to request it from VDOT, and then they roll the dice. That's, that's as it is now. If we would like to remove that condition, the Planning Commission can remove that condition if you'd like to, to remove it, or we can leave it as it is. The applicant has agreed to it at this point. I'm fine. Okay. Like yes, it. Mr. Sisley. I think it would be difficult to ask the applicant to pursue a path that would deny other citizens their right. I, I don't know why anybody would want to put on a VDOT-controlled road no parking signs because it's a VDOT-controlled road. It's not the applicant's road. Um, I, I just think that we're putting a condition into the application that we don't have the right to request, nor do we have the authority to enforce, and therefore it would be questionable on the part of this body to do that. Well, it would be it, – it, it it it's a proper commitment by the applicant to ask for it by the authority that allows it, um, but I understand your point completely. And I'm going to ask for some more comments, and after we do that, we'll ask uh, – I'll have a question, a straw vote question on whether to remove that. Mr. Shield, did you have a comment or question? You're on. You were on. I sort of think this is a storm in a teacup, and why can't we say something that uh, either with parking or without parking um, and leave it at that to see what the Virginia Department of Highways decides? Okay. L leave it like it is and just go with it. Okay. Mr. Priscilla. That's fine. Okay, so I'm going to, uh, Ms. Oh, Blackburn, I'm going to do a straw vote now. It sounds like we have two no's for the straw vote, but I'm going to ask for the full straw vote anyway. The next and final straw vote will be, um, does the Planning Commission recommend removal of the current um, proffer condition to have the applicant request no parking along Briarfield Lane? Mr. Barnes, you're a no. Well, no, I, I, I think I agree with uh, Jim Sisley. You know, you can't put, they can't put the sign unless they go to the VDOT. Okay, so that, that means you're a yes. Yeah, I'm okay, a okay. So, so, so you agree yeah. that we're going to, um, as part of our, as part of our approval, we're going to remove their existing commitment to the HOA. So the HOA will know that we removed it and the applicant did not remove it. Okay, Mr. Scheel. I'm questioning if, if we can really vote with any degree of, of logic without 
getting word from the Virginia Department of Highways as to what's what. Well, so I, I so I'm I'm going to vote no. In other words, keeping things the way keep it is. keep it in. Okay. Yeah. Here here's my understanding, and and uh, uh, Rory, if you could just make sure that I'm clear. The current proffer is that so so a current VDOT road allows parking on the road. The applicant is going to request that VDOT ask for ask VDOT for no parking on it. VDOT has the option to say, okay, we'll put no parking signs, or no, we do want to allow parking on the street. That's the current proffer. And the question that we have here is we would the, – the question is should the Planning Commission remove that proffer? And by removing the proffer, it will um, prevent the applicant from asking VDOT to add no parking signs. Is that your understanding? That is my understanding, but I will defer to the county attorney for further guidance. On <laughs> Sucker. <laughs> First of all, Mr. Chairman, I just want to emphasize these are conditions of approval and not a proffer. It's a condition. Okay. It's a condition because it's a special exception, not a, okay. not a ZMAP. But, um, My apologies. So we're imposing it on them. Of course, you know, you're asking them if they um, approve of it or not, and they obviously have their opinion about that. But I guess I'm, I'm not certain. The way – that it is written now, and again, it can be fine-tuned before it goes to the board. I mean, I don't, I'm not familiar with the process that they would follow with VDOT if they would submit something and ask for these signs to be, um, you know, to be installed. But the way it is written, it is contingent upon VDOT approving that. So, um, like I said, I'm just not familiar with what process they have to go through. Yes, Mr. Jennings. Have we as a commission ever imposed or requested or required as a condition of approval parking mitigation by disallowing or recommending disallowance of parking in public spaces? I mean, I understand the overflow. We don't want it going into someone else's property. We don't want, but we're, have we done that before? It's not unprecedented. We're, we're trying to, we all ring a bell that we've done that somewhere else. I think Woodland Road we looked at, perhaps Morley Corner. So it's not unprecedented. Um, is it frequent? No. It's usually specific where there's a situation that may arise. Still More often than not, it would be a VDOT contingency. There's a criteria with which you have to go through. Yes. Uh, for instance, where I live in Haymarket, we had a public street. We wanted to limit parking on one side of the street. VDOT had a series of criteria with which we had to go through. There had to be maintained safe passage. There were some other criteria with which to evaluate it. So that's how we wrote the condition in this sense. They would have to warrant that with VDOT. If VDOT says, no, we don't feel it's warranted, then the, 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 the ability to park on the street remains. So. I was just going to clarify. I believe this all came up because of a offer the applicant made because of the residential yep. uh, yeah. issues that raised at the public hearing. Generally, you know, the county can approach VDOT where there's an area where there's a desire to restrict parking for whatever reason. Yep. Um, if it's a concern here, the county can, or in this case, the applicant could approach and yeah and, and see what the outcome is. Um, 
generally it's you know when there's an issue so I, I think I think what the Planning Commission is stating, and we can go and finish up the comments. Uh, Mr. Kearse has a question first. Um, we'll go through the straw vote, but I, I, what I'm hearing is that the Planning Commission has a concern that this is a this does this 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 does not mitigate the parking issue, and that's why we want to put it back on and allow the parking. I think that's what we're hearing, and so I, I think what we're trying to say is we appreciate you trying to um, be neighborly and to um, and to uh, uh, help out where, where possible. However, we think this is a bad idea to do it this way, and I'm happy to receive the complaints from the neighborhoods that said, why did you do that? Because I really feel that in my mind, and I'll be voting in favor of this straw vote, my mind that restricting a parking on a VDOT street in this particular situation is actually not good for this um, situation in this area. Okay. Mr. Kirsch, you had a comment or question? Yeah, uh, just, just a comment. It's actually a very simple process for residents in a community to, to go to VDOT. We did it in Broadlands with an area by a school that was just causing trouble. So we, in a very short order of time, VDOT came out, looked at it, said yes, and then a few days later, no parking signs between here were put up. So it's actually a very simple process to do. Whether they'll say yes or not, that's a different different issue. They do, they do check it. But I want, I'm just trying to get back to the delta on the parking. You got 43. Staff would be happy with. What's the number staff would be happy with? Was it 52 or 60? I kept heard numbers coming bouncing around. So 60 is what Parks and Recreation recommends for a single field, assuming um, two teams practicing or one team playing and some overlap with the, the next teams arriving. Um, we're, we're not assuming that the applicant is going to be able to come up with any additional spaces, so our solution was to um, uh, this condition to restrict activities on the field so that we didn't have two teams playing games at one time okay. or four teams practicing right. on two fields. So I'm, I'm trying to get a sense of how many cars you can park on each side of the road Briarfield. along Briarfield. What's your frontage? What's the frontage? Well, it's it's not frontage. So and then you've also got the frontage leading up to that. But there's his, his frontage is immaterial. It's the whole. So that's, most, 20, that's 24 more. Yeah, just on his frontage, 18. but then you've on his frontage. It's 24, so 24 plus 43 is. Well, well, here's what I'm getting at, though. That's only your frontage. You've got from Evergreen Mill Road to the corner of your property, and then you got on the other side of your property. You have legal parking along the street. You'd be way above. You'd so you're way above it. You're way way above it. What? So what? what I guess what I'm looking at is sort of an in between here. Is, I mean, to me, the wrong thing to do is put no parking up on both sides of the road when we already have concerns about it being underparked. Um, and so I, I would not recommend that. But it sounds like w one side parking, say on the north side, plus your parking lot would accommodate it. So as a way to, if you want to still try to be neighborly, I would be fine with going forward with the request to VDOT to provide no parking on the south side of the road only and allow the parking on the north side. Um, that way it keeps the residential side one alley clear and you still have the additional parking along the road. To me, that's a pretty... Pretty good compromise. It should work. Okay. So while we're still in the middle of, of a vote, let's if if we fail the vote, then we'll go to that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The the point of the matter is that it, 
Parking is currently allowed by VDOT. Yeah. If the neighbors are unhappy in the neighborhood, then they can request They it. have the yeah. right to go to VDOT and ask for a let's, revision. Let's stop the discussion. We'll go through the vote. And if the vote comes out in a different way, we'll keep talking. Mr. Priscilla, the current, the current vote, we have one yes and one uh, no, is yes, remove the um, uh, additional requirement for the condition on parking. So you're going to be a yes to remove it. Ms. Blackburn. Yes. You're a yes to remove it. Could you refill all of that again? Yes. So <laughs> the current additional condition request is on the screen. No, you did it and, and, and Ad did it, and then everybody wanted to add a bunch of comments. Okay. So we're still in the middle of that, and we're only at a question number. We're only on the fourth person. I was hijacked. So and it's getting close I'm going to blame, I'm gonna blame Cliff, yeah. I just want to make a couple comments on why I think so. I think it, that, yes, if the, if the residents have a problem, they should be the one that petition. Also, I think, the, what are your hours of operation? They're not 24 hours a day. So it just would restrict parking for, it's usually in the evenings, right, except for maybe during the summer. You're not intentionally parking. We're not parking, parking in there. their community. We're parking Correct. on Briarfield leading up to their community. Which is a by right road that, oh, sorry, which right. is a which is a VDOT road that right. they also use, and they can park there when they have parties. So. I think I think okay. you were showing that you're a good neighbor and willing to, to do that, but I don't think it's necessary. I think it's an overreach. Okay, great. Mr. That's Jennings? I am a My, yes. Mr. Jennings is a yes. I'm off of Bishop Meek. I mean, that was the concern I heard. And, and I, I can't justify why we wouldn't use the main. Okay, Mr. Kears. It's okay. I am a yes to removing that requirement. I think I don't believe it should be part of our conditions, but that does not preclude you from at any time willing to approach Fiat to say, hey, you know, there's a concern with the residents. We don't think you should we put allow parking on the south side of the road. You can do it any time you want. You don't need the planning commission to tell you to do that. Okay. So if you still want to pursue it, do it on your own. I don't think it needs to be a condition. Yes, please remove the condition. Mrs. Sisley is yes. Mr. Lloyd. Yes to no parking. No condition. And I'll be a yes to no parking condition. So we're going to say that we're going to remove this additional condition and not have it in. Mr. Snyder. Right now, the condition in your packet, condition 11, talks about the no parking we're, signage. We're getting, okay. yes. So so we're actually voting, no, we're voting to remove, and I wrote it down um, for Mr. Down. Priscilla. You've already removed condition 11, no parking signage. We just this removed. This is a new condition that has not shown up in the conditions you have in your packet. We already turned Okay. We turned that one down, and we just turned down um, item number 11, remove the no parking request. Okay. Thank you. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Okay. So the next question is, according to the um, applicant's expert uh, traffic study guy who's in the room, that's why I'm trying to be nice to him, um, he, he says that based on the new uh, traffic volumes that the um, – you're going to be below the uh, amount of traffic. And we have a new, another condition, condition number 12, which is related to a left-hand turn lane requirement. That's been added as a condition of approval, correct, Mr.? Yes, and we're, sorry, we're, um, we're going to get there in a, a couple issues, but if you'd like to address it now. Oh, I thought there was only four issues. That's, I thought we only had, you said there were four issues. We just went through four. 
issues. Oh, um, so I thought we were done. We have another. No, if I was unclear, I apologize. Okay. So let's so let's move on. I was uh, letting Mr. Kearse talk because I figured we would be done by my my own personally imposed deadline. So now we have to talk fast. Okay. So the next issue is very quick. Um, polls didn't meet yard requirements. Polls now meet yard requirements. Staff considers this to be addressed. Okay. Great. No votes. Okay. Is that it? Okay. Okay. So I'd like to bring up one additional item. Oh. <laughs> Please continue talking. Go ahead. At the commission public hearing, the commission expressed interest in uh, some of the commitments to the Barfield HOA being uh, enshrined in the conditions of approval, and um, several of them are. We just talked about one, the uh, no parking signage on Briarfield. Um, uh, there's another uh, relating to restrictions on hours, um, weekday operation beginning no earlier than 4 p.m. Um, and there are some commitments that really were not appropriate to be included in the conditions. Some can be included on the plat, um, but one would need to uh, be worked out privately with the HOA. So that's that's the status. We consider this address pending some changes to the plat. To okay. Stri striping and signage. Great. Okay. Let's go to number seven. All right. Turn lane on Evergreen Mills Road. So there we go. As you know, the applicant has submitted an updated uh, traffic study. Uh, staff has added a condition of approval to provide the left turn lane. So we would consider this to be addressed with the condition, but my understanding is the applicant is not in agreement. So uh, Rory Toth is here from DTCI to provide additional information on left turn recommendation and staff's analysis of the updated traffic study. Thank you, Steve. So uh, just to reiterate what was discussed at the Planning Commission public hearing, this section of Evergreen Mills Road, it's a CTP roadway. The CTP calls for left and right turn lanes, so it's a policy issue from the 2010 Countywide Transportation Plan. Also, under the applicant's traffic study, at this intersection, it's at an overall level of service E, so it's failing. So I guess the the main question that we as staff would propose to the commission, given the fact that the applicant's traffic study and DTCI recognizes that there are going to be trip diversions in the future with the improvements to uh, the connection at Shreveport Drive and Evergreen Mills Road. There's going to be a North Star Boulevard connection. Evergreen Mills Road itself is going to be widened in the future. What we're asking the Planning Commission is due to the policy issue requiring the, right turn, the left turn lane and also in the interim time period until these background improvements are realized, there will be no left turn lane. So that's why you see the condition in the special exception for the left turn lane from staff's point of view. Okay. So, so can you just clarify the condition of approval, which is you're, they're going to bond for construction of West Bend left turn lane before the first site plan, and it's going to be constructed and open but not accepted by VDOT prior to the first zoning permit. Is that is that still the yes, the, the that's, correct. that's still the the request of of DTCI? That's correct. Okay, and then they're going to make good faith efforts to require the rights of way. So. What you're saying is, a they got to build it, but if they can't, but if they can't get right away, then they don't have to build it. Is that 
That's that's correct. The the condition states in the language that in the event that they cannot acquire and the the county chooses not to go through eminent eminent domain process, then they would be absolved of that requirement if they cannot get the right of okay, way. Okay, so they have to try so so A is really subject to B, which is I gotta try to get the right of way and if I can get the right of way then I have to build it. If if I can't get the right of way, I just try really hard and I try it and if I can't get it done then I don't have to build it. That's correct. Okay. Mr. Mr. Chairman, if I could just add to that. Yes. When we modeled we there was condition language in a similar circumstance um, it may have been for a traffic signal or off-site right-of-way needed for another road improvement um, down further down Evergreen Mills Road at Evergreen Commerce Center, and this the suggested language is very similar to what okay. uh, was approved with that case. Okay, so I have another question, which is um, Wells has come up with some modifications to the traffic study and um, and the trip generation. So if you could go through that, because I think that changes the numbers down to where this is no longer needed? Well, I believe, I believe so. What we've done is we've taken into consideration uh, the shifting of the schedule of the, when the fields would be used. And the level of service after that effect is uh, each approach meets, meets the FSM requirement, level of service D or better. And it has an overall level of service C, but I think what they're referring to is more of um, it's a it's a requirement for the the roadway classification, the ultimate classification. And so <clears throat> I would say to that that this roadway is not in its ultimate condition. So then that wouldn't necessarily apply in my in my view. And so the level of service wouldn't trigger that extra left turn. It would. It would be an extreme hardship because they'd have to get it right away on both the north side and the south side. Okay, Mr. Mesereck, did policy, you? The policy does state that there would be turn lanes at all intersections along this roadway. We're evaluating it, you know, based on that policy, um, as well as the level of service policy. As Rory said a few minutes ago, the overall level of service in the PM Peak is below acceptable levels so it's a policy decision okay that um, but, excuse me but the, the level service is not below overall level service in the exist in your revised study um, has there been an analysis showing the reductions from existing conditions the reductions you took for the correct it's a future condition is what the level service for but so you're saying with the diversions Correct. Yes, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, Rory. And and if I may, just just to clarify that the total future conditions that are reflected in the traffic study, where the the percentage reduction is taken, those are also assuming as 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 they alluded to all these other background improvements. So, again, the concern is you know the here and now under the existing condition at that intersection and. And the failing level of service. Well, it, it's a little picking and choosing, I think, is what's going on here. Because we used those same forecasts to design the roadway 
that realigns Evergreen Mill Road to Shreveport. We've used those same forecasts to design for those conditions that are going to happen in the next few years. I, I, I just would clarify that we understand that it's the same assumptions that were used for designs further to the west. Okay. Uh, it's there is a issue prior to those diversions happening that the intersection, at least in the short run, would operate at a failing level of service. Okay. That's that's Mr. Snyder. Do you have a comment? Or no, just reiterate that. So we got two kind of decision point we see for the commission. Without the turn lane, there would be a period of time where this would continue to fail until some point in the future where those other roads come online. And then it would work out. The turn lane would address it now. Okay. So that's the choice we're putting before the commission. Deal with it now with the turn lane. Wait till some point in the future when the rest of the road network gets into play. Okay. What's the, acceptable? Mr. Priscilla, you had a question or a comment? What, just some comments. Um, yeah, it, it, one of the things that helped me kind of crystallize the nature of any interim improvement is it also beneficial in the future. I don't, whether the county or an applicant pays for something today, does it have value in the future? Looking at the county CIP plans for that intersection improvements, I wanted to say what what do you have conceptually identified? And if he were to build a turn lane today, it doesn't fit into that plan. So one of the things that helps me say, does it add value in the future, is what are those ultimate plans? F setting aside the issue of the level of service today, you know, whether it's an E, a D, and a policy issue. And from what I saw, um, that gets configured quite a bit, that intersection. It involves a significant amount of property acquisition all the way around to do something which means whatever was built today, regardless of who paid for it, goes away. And that seems kind of a big issue, when it's, especially when it's not on the applicant's property. You know, for him to have to, even if he had to go try to do it, it just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of short or long-term sense to me. I, I appreciate what you say. There's a traffic issue today that someone, if he doesn't build his facility, how is that going to be dressed today? Right. How much worse does he really make it with the trips he has? You know, that's why I look at that incrementally. Okay. It's a judgment. Mr. Kears. Quick question. Most of the kids that you have um, using the park now, do you, have, do you have any sense of where they're coming from? Most of them are coming from the um, Dulles District from Arcola, and they're coming from Ashburn. Or Brambleton. And Brambleton, right. But I just wanted to point out, the kids that come usually come to practice like five or six in a car. Um, and... The, you know, one mom designates, drives, picks up, father comes and picks up the kids. And that's, I mean, we can't legislate that or enforce it, but yeah. I'm seeing that all the time because they all live in the communities well, there. You, you, you always say lawyers shouldn't ask a question they don't know the answer to. I didn't know the answer, but I kind of thought that was the answer because the greatest body of people in proximity to this site are directly from the north. Um, you know, when I, when I look at this application generating 143 trips a day in an intersection that has about 2,000 trips a day, um, only a percentage of those will be using making a left turn movement, and I think it will be a smaller percentage of it. I think it's totally unreasonable to expect them to build a left turn lane onto Briarfield. I think that that's way, way, way um, too strong of a, of a position, an imposition on this application when there's obviously a lot more contributing to the problem there. Understand it may be a policy issue because of the level of the intersection now, but to put the burden of all that now on their backs for this number of trips, I, I think is, is way um, too much. 
I mean, possibly some contribution to the intersection improvement if and when it finally gets done would make some sense. We do that quite a bit where a certain amount of money is given towards the eventual improvement of an intersection um, that's more commensurate with the traffic they're going to generate would be, in my mind, far more appropriate than a left turn lane. Commissioner Kirsten, we went to the board with Evergreen Meadows. We were asked why we didn't emphasize this policy. So part of the reason why we're it may come across as heavy-handed is before we were asked. I'm not asked blaming you for the no, policy no. is the policy. I understand that. I'm not saying you're doing anything you're, wrong. You're, I'm you're, just telling us, you're telling us what you need to tell us, so we appreciate that. So, Mr. Scheel, you're on. When is the traffic circle scheduled to be built? If you're referring to the, the improvements to Evergreen Mills Road at Briarfield? Yes. That is in the out years of the CIP, so 2022 to 2023. In the, it's, yeah, it's so in the approximately later five in years. the later years of of the CIP. So four to five years. It's funded in FY twenty. Funded in FY twenty two currently, and say a year or so to build. So okay. twenty three twenty four time frame. Thank you. But the road network is changing, like almost daily over there. Yes, correct. There are other improvements that are coming online much faster than that. yes. Okay, correct. Okay, Mr. Kears. I, for one, for one, I'm very happy to say I go through that intersection far less now that Loudoun County Parkway is complete. <laughs> All right. So I'm, I'm going to ask for one more straw vote, I think, which is um, do we and, – and, and I think the language, to be honest with you, I think the language that's in the condition of approval is, is not as onerous as, as initially thought. Um, but I'm going to ask one more straw vote, which is – should we remove condition 12 related to the left-hand turn lane? Again, realizing that that's against policy. It's against policy. DTCI is recommending to keep it in there. Um, I'm going to provide a straw vote to ask if we should remove condition 12 or keep in condition 12. So, Mr. Barnes. Condition means making a left turn. They've got to put a left turn in there. They have to try to put in a left turn. They have try to try to, to put a left turn if you can find yeah. somebody to give you the land, right? So you're going to be a no. You want to keep the left-hand turn language well, in there. It's a policy thing, isn't it? it? It's a policy thing, yes. We can go against We We go against policy um, many times, <laughs> unfortunately, according to Lou. Um, so okay. we, we can. I, I'm, I'm okay without it. So you're okay to remove it? So you'll be a yes. Mr. Scheel? I'm okay to remove that. Okay, so you're a yes. Um, Mr. Priscilla, remove 12 is a, a yes. Ms. Blackburn? Yes, because I think we just bankrupt this small business owner if we expect him to put that turn lane in, so yes. Mr. Jennings, remove 12. Microphone. Thank you. Y yes, on those reasons, I think there's an alignment with the decision we made on 606 that somehow seems similar so this would be inconsistent okay mr kierce remove is a yes mr sisley yes remove is a yes mr lloyd is a yes mr salmon is a yes so uh what we'd like to do um sorry mr mesrak um you can beat me up later um <laughs> i think what we need is a motion if sorry any other no other issues that was it um, there are no other issues. These are the issues that staff considers still outstanding. My understanding is the commission does not consider these outstanding, and um, our recommendation is to 
uh, forward to a work session uh, to address these issues, but it, it uh, appears the commission has. I think we're I think we're in good I think we're in good shape. So um, I'm going to ask uh, Mr. Priscilla to take over. There's a couple of items that we've agreed to. Number one is remove condition of approval number 11. One uh, the second one is remove condition of approval number 12. And that's it, right? That's what I had. Okay. I'm looking at you to make sure. I, yeah. I, did we have one? Of, was it I, one I of just, if there's any interest in my thought about a contribution to an eventual improvement of the intersection based on the volume that they're creating. I, so what's the percentage of volume they're creating? Mr. Just some, you know, it is a reference. 174 divided by 2,000 or 2,000 divided by 174. Well, uh, Mr. Chairman. Yes. We would be concerned about conditioning the, conditioning the application on a cash contribution for an off-site regional road improvement, this being a special exception and not a okay. rezoning proffer. Okay. Then I'm going to recommend we don't even do that. Okay. Mr. Priscilla, you got it? I think so. Okay. I'll be looking for heads nodding or shaking. Um. <laughs> Lori, keep, Lori, pay attention. <laughs> I move that the Planning Commission forward special exception 2016-0060, special exception 2016-0061, and special exception 2016-0062, Virginia Fusion Park, to the Board of Supervisors with a recommendation of approval, approval subject to the conditions of approval dated November 3rd, 2017, not including items 11 and 12, as attached to the November 9th, 2017 Planning Commission Work Session Memo and based on the following findings of approval. Give me a second here. One, that the recreational facility is generally consistent with the revised general plan business community designation of the property. That wasn't part of my motion. Uh, the recreational field will be sufficiently buffered by proposed and existing perimeter landscaping and use of existing topography. Three, based on the current conditions, the modification to increase light spillover onto adjacent properties will not have an adverse effect on existing and planned uses. Four, the applications will improve Briarfield Lane by the construction of a sidewalk along the property's road frontage and dedicating right-of-way. And five, limit the number of fields and hours Limits to the number of fields and hours of operation will reduce impacts on surrounding residential uses. There is a motion. Is there a second? Second. Seconded by Commissioner Sisley. Is there any further comment on this? Realizing that we are two minutes over my deadline. S since we're over, I don't want to do two things. I want to thank Steve and staff because I gave you some questions and not too long a time frame, so I really appreciate the information. That was very helpful. And I, I really want to thank the applicant for working with the community and coming up with a plan that, and trying to really involve them and, and, as people have said, do something for the kids. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments? Um, I have one final one. I would like to thank uh, Mr. Pankovic. He uh, certainly has a passion for soccer, uh, which is near and dear to, uh, to my heart despite my lack of ability. Um, and I'd also like to, uh, uh, again, understanding that you tried to do the right thing with the, uh, with the neighbors uh, related to the, uh, to the parking and, and the no parking signage. Um, I, I think that's as, as appreciative as, as we are with you trying to work with the neighbors. And I think the first meeting I had with you, as I said, our job is to make sure you don't piss off your neighbors. And you did a, you, you did a commendable job. 
we don't we don't agree with this one and so we're going to take it off and that's not on you that's on the planning commission so i want to make sure everybody's clear about that um and so with that all in favor aye, aye. aye. opposed motion passes nine zero good luck at the board and good luck with soccer i may get this wrong bronco but chess t tomo <laughs> With uh, with that, uh, Mr. Snyder, are there any other items for the Planning Commission? No, but I just want to say, I know this conversation can be painful, but you guys did a good job of vetting all these issues, so thanks for taking the time. Well, thank, thank you. Uh, with that, we are adjourned. Uh, with that, we are adjourned.